Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Liar. Yo, The show starts now. It is Thursday, November 14th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's our weekly visit with Idney's Times writer and chicken sandwich lover, Miles Camp-Lassen. And we're talking the 2020 election with co-host of WVON's Seton and Buchanan, David Seton. And now your host, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Sleeping with the Fishes Thursday. And here's why. I'll tell you why. I saw Godfather 2 last night on the big screen where it was meant to be seen. I want to thank uh, my dear friend, El Dragon, for encouraging me to go. I uh, said, Ben, you got to go see it. Uh, it. It's very rarely on the big screen. We don't Wait, know. Frequent Ben Jarofsky show guest, Adolfo Mondragon? Yes, that oh, one. Oh, wow. El Dragon. Did he curse? during the movie many times oh, and, and, and you know it was kind of weird because there were so few people in the theater uh you know okay well let me just back up it's it's one of those oldies for you know some of our millennial listeners may not know about it the okay hey all right so it came out in 1974 it was part two of the trilogy the godfather trilogy and uh this tells the story about the rise the fall and the rise again of michael corleone who's the son to vito corleone and the whole corleone empire i i i actually think i I don't have to explain anymore. Even even I, as I said yesterday, D, who is bred to explain absolutely everything under the guise that somebody might not know it. I, I think it's safe to assume that most people out there listening know about The Godfather. Yeah, I think so. Although uh, to, trying to explain the casino rates to people in Chicago would be a little more difficult. But anyway. Another good movie, Casino. Excellent. <laughs> yes. That's they, if, if they show that, El Dragon and I will be right there. So anyway, so every now and then, I think it's like um, uh, twice a month or so, the, uh, the the theaters bring back oldies, for, but uh, goldie, golden oldies, and put them on the screen, the big screen where they were meant to be seen. And so last night, it was uh, Godfather 2's turn. It was an excellent movie in so many ways. It's even better than I remembered. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces on TV from time to time, but this is the first time time since the 70s i think where i sat down and watched it in one stretch from beginning to end it just 
flowed. I never looked at my watch. I never got restless. There's an intermission. I mean, imagine that. That's how long it is. I think it's like three and a half hours long, but the time just flew. I was totally into it. And because this gets to the point you raised, because it's an olden, old, golden oldie, and there were hardly any. tough to say, golden oldie. And there was hardly anyone in the theater. Uh, El Dragon and I felt comfortable talking. You know, oh my God, this, you know, this, I loved, I, mostly me. He was good about I was like, oh, this is my favorite scene. I love this scene. Or this scene sucks because there's a couple scenes there. Yeah, Coppola, I don't know. A couple but scenes. But it was just you two in there? Uh, no, there's about five other, six other people oh, there. Oh, they hated your guts. <laughs> yeah, probably. But it, they were scattered around the theater. And when it was done, El Dragon and I clapped. We loved it so much, we actually applauded at the end of the movie. Anyway, the movie's a great movie. It's about so many different things. Uh, but uh, ultimately... Uh, it's about lying, and that's why I was saying liar. Well, I, I wouldn't say ultimately it's only about uh, lying. I guess it's more about the abuse of power and lying. Uh, the thing is that in this movie, everybody lies. And, you know, we are taught, of course, never to lie. You always got to tell the truth. You raise your right hand. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. But in, in, the, in life, people are lying. And in this movie, let's see, gangsters lie to other gangsters. And they do it. And when they, like, they're being sincere. There's no one like you to me. I love you more. Oh. That's when Michael Corleone uh, is uh, talking to Hyman Roth. Uh, remember, they, I don't know. Do you even know? Do you even know the movie, D? No, no. That's one hell of a first name. <laughs> Hyman. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, there's no one like you. I love you. Oh, mm, oh baby. Mm. I mean, they're lying. They're like just, just deceiving one another behind the scenes. They're like plotting against each other, trying to kill each other. Brothers lie to brothers. Fredo, you're my brother. Oh, I love you. Oh. <laughs> the episode where Ben Drosky slaps himself in the face. And he's lying. Like Fredo's working with Roth to kill Michael Corley. I mean, it's just like everybody's lying. Husbands lie to wives. Wives lie to husbands. Fathers lie to sons. There's one scene where Michael Corleone, uh, he's, he gets his sidekick, uh, the Robert Duvall character, to buy a present for his son. And he goes, you know, hey, what, what, what did you buy him so I could act like I know what I, what I bought him? You know, is he lying to was kid oh, i love you like nothing else everybody everybody's lying all uh, to everybody but ultimately here's the point politicians lie to their constituents oh there's a big surprise there d uh but in this movie it's uh, it's utter hypocrisy uh there's a senator <clears throat> from i think nevada the state of nevada uh who is under the employer the corleone family so he's lying about that of course he doesn't want people to know that uh he's uh, secretly on the take from the corleones he's sec their secret pawn uh in uh the state of nevada meanwhile he's lying to the corleone family because you know he despised them but he pretends like he loves them then there's this congressional hearing which is why the movie is so appropriate uh, for the time there's a con con congressional hearing senate hearing into the corleone empire and let's see there's on on the um uh, michael corleone lies under oath another witness lies under oath two witnesses lie under oath and then there's the senator who's uh on the panel who works for the Corleone family. So he's lying about being impartial. And finally, the uh, the lawyer to the senator who's running the hearing is working for a rival gangster. So the whole thing is a hoax. <laughs> so everybody's absolutely, everybody in the hearing where you're testifying to find the truth is lying. And so I'm watching this movie and seeing all the blatant lies and the sincerity with which people lie. You know, that's just like, how dare you?
insist it's any other way. And you know they're lying, but they'd say it with like utter sincerity. Like, and you think, do you believe that you're telling the truth now or you're just a great actor? And this fast forward to Donald Trump and the Trump administration, they lie every day about everything. They'll say something at the beginning of the day and then say something else at the end of the day. And you're supposed to believe them at every single moment. Donald Trump, for instance, uh, his he pled guilty his his foundation uh, to uh, all kinds of deceptive practices, raising money from people who thought it was going to go to help veterans when in fact he was spending it on political campaign things uh he a portrait made a portrait for himself so here was a case of fraud deceit lying uh he pled guilty to it they had to pay off some fines uh in 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 pleading guilty he admitted to wrongdoing and then boom when he talks talks about it on twitter uh, it's a fake investigation a hoax so he's lying no about that yes <laughs> no collusion lying 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 so I'm watching uh, the replay of yesterday's congressional hearing, and I'm listening to these Republicans, con- congressmen, going on and on and on and uh, trying to just confuse us and divert our attention from the central investigation. I'm thinking, you know what? If, if Coppola were to do a movie about this, there would be the scenes where you would see the Republicans conferring with Donald Trump's aides uh, in the White House to get it all together, to get their uh, strategy together, uh, just the way the uh, in, in Godfather 2, the, the gangsters were uh, conspiring with the senators who were supposedly investigating the gangsters. Lying, lying, lying. The only time you get the truth is when you watch a movie and of course that's fiction we got a great show today everybody miles comp will be here uh from in these times no lies from miles he tells the truth all right and nothing but the truth and uh, we'll be talking uh oh my god we got some a lot of bernie talk with miles i just wrote a column about bernie in the mainstream media that's on miles's mind as well uh and we'll be talking about the uh the investigation the impeachment investigation and all sorts of local politics we're throwing at miles uh david seaton uh who is now the co-host of a show on wvon how about that huh seaton in buchanan seaton in buchanan seaton uh, yeah, he's Seaton, and there's Buchanan. Yeah. Uh, that would be Atiba Buchanan, who's become one of our most popular guests uh, on our show. God bless. Uh, uh, I introduced Atiba you guys. Buchanan. I'm glad you like him. Like doesn't quite convey the feeling I have for Atiba <laughs> nice, Buchanan. Nice. He is a great guest, and uh, I love Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton as well. David's a little more on the conservative side, so I'm looking forward to our discussions. Uh, we'll be talking about the impeachment hearings. Also, uh, some Bernie Sanders uh, uh, ideas. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bernie's response. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll tease. It's called a tease, D. Nice. Okay. That's good. Anyway, so I'm looking for political talk uh, with David Seaton and Melis Kampflassen. Politics, politics, politics. But before we do any of that, I'm going to kick things over to the young man from Alton. The man they call the doctor with the news. How's it going, everybody? (laughs) You're right, though. People do lie all the time, man. Excellent singing at the beginning of the show. That was really good. Oh, uh, uh, I get it. It's it's a lie. (laughs) Well, that was subtle. All right. All right. Subtle. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Turns out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. First up, 
Well, it's our Chicago mayor. This little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. Mayor by, what? by the way, I just would say, we usually before the show, we go over what the news oh items are. We didn't do that. I have no idea what you're oh, going to throw well. This what? is called improv, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> We're well, called winging it. Well, being honest today, huh? <laughs> well, the, you know, I wouldn't want to lie. <laughs> oh, I see. I see it subtle. 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 All right. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, her Thursday schedule includes a visit to Salmon P. Chase Elementary School to launch the academic program application process to expand access to academic programs. Mm. And her schedule also includes quite a bit of walking back. (laughs) You mean she's not she's going to walk back from Chase School to uh, City Hall? Yeah, sure. That's something I would do. You know, oh, it's a nice day. It's only, it's 30 degrees. Let's go for a walk. The, uh, do I gotta? Oh walk all the way from Chase Elementary. Sir walks a lot over here. <laughs> so a deal is yet to be cut oh, between yeah. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot and the state capitol. She's looking to get some help on the uh, budget deficit. The following mm-hmm. comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And the one and only friend, the woe man's Spielman. With the clock running out on the fall veto session, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Thursday likened attempts to pass her ambitious legislative agenda to, quote, and uh, maybe, uh, what, what's the name of Lori Lightfoot's uh, favorite musician? Lundgren? Oh, uh, Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren, that's it. Maybe this is a lyric from Todd Rundgren, I don't know. But she, uh, she likened the attempts to pass her ambitious legislative agenda to, quote, going through the eye of a needle. Uh, no, that is, uh, I think that's a biblical reference. I don't believe Todd well, Rundgren has ever uh, used that line. But Big Rundgren fan, huh? Uh, I know a few lines. You want me to sing a Rundgren song? Yeah, sure. Um, it's better in sports. Think of me. Da-da-da-da. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, those are the lyrics. That part there. I know Lori Lightfoot loves Todd Rundgren. For 10 trivia points. Here we go. Let's see how good your memory is, Mr. Uh, Youngster. Uh, her favorite song, remember the debate? It was ancient history. Um, I forget who the commentator was. What's your favorite song uh, during the debate? And Lori Lightfoot said some song by Todd Grundgren, the name of the song I can't remember. Tony Preckwinkle, what song? Oh, A Change Is Gonna Come, I think. <sighs> how did you... <laughs> I, I listen to the shows <laughs> after the show. It's my job to listen to the shows and post the shows. That's Ladies and gentlemen, I have a confession to make since we're not lying. When I asked Dee that question, I did not know the answer because I couldn't remember it. And then it, it would have been one of those things if he didn't know, he said, I do not know. And I would have to go, I don't know either. I just think it was an oldie. Uh, but now I remember it was a song. She goes like, really dance to it. It's not like a dance song anyway. Let's redo the <laughs> the uh, high points of the mayoral election of April. So going through the eye of a needle ah, is yes. what she liked in the attempts to pass her ambitious legislative agenda to. Mm. Lightfoot tried to t- Tamp down expectations for her two major priorities, a revised tax structure for a Chicago casino and a graduated real estate transfer tax. We have some quotes from Lightfoot here. We continue to work hard, particularly in the House, because the casino bill has to originate in the House. We've been working hard, really literally, all night to make sure we can get something to the floor of the House today, then move it over to the Senate. But you know this as well as I do. In a veto session, it's a narrow window of time. And realistically, we've had a day and a half of work this week. It's like going through the eye of a needle. Well, we're trying to thread that as best we can. Wait, she just said that in an impromptu statement? Yeah. 
That's pretty good. I have, you don't have to thread that. I mean, you got to give her credit for that. That's uh-huh. pretty, you know, poetic. Call her up if you need help with your next uh, article or something. You know, your next column. <laughs> Maybe she can help you out. Maybe I, she's better than Rom at the whole column thing. Rom in the basement. Honey, what's a synonym for uh, turkey? <laughs> I'm writing this article. I don't know what is a synonym for turkey. That's an old bit uh, we, from the an ancient radio show we used to have where uh, I was analyzing an article that allegedly was written by one Rahm Emanuel. And you know what, D? I must confess one more time. I do not believe he wrote the article. Furthermore, I'm not convinced he actually read the article. So, uh, yeah. And so then I had this vision of Rahm writing his articles hard at work in his jockey shorts with a pen and a notebook like this. Going, honey, I need a synonym. Writing is hard, folks. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So it's looking like no deal for the mayor as of right now. We hope she at least got to enjoy her time in Springfield, don't we, Ben? <laughs> was she, was she for a full day? Did, I, I'm not sure. Did she spend the night or did she just go in and then like, leave? I uh, can't remember. I, I think she just went for the day and then came back. She like, came yeah. back, yeah. As we recall, there's, we were debating this point yesterday. Do you remember this? No. Oh, your memory is a little, interesting. You have a better long-term memory than short-term <laughs> memory, a side of heavy reefer smoking. Um, so yesterday we were discussing and debating whether the Sun-Times and the Tribune uh, were more accurate in their depiction of what went down at Springfield than uh, Politico. Oh, Remember yeah, that yeah, debate, yeah. huh? Uh-huh. Wake up, Hi, smell the coffee. Hey. <laughs> what? Uh, that's me smoking pot. Yeah. It. And also, that's also, uh, well, we're not going to say who that's an imitation of, but it's a good imitation of someone. Um, but anyway, and uh, I was like, I don't know, I think I'm going to go with the Tribune Sun-Times uh, rendition of events that she didn't get what she wanted. And, you know, let me just say this. The original casino legislation, I know I interrupted you, so I have no idea where you're going with this, but let me just point this out. It is difficult to get uh, legislation through Springfield sometimes, particularly when you're revising and you already cut a deal. But the casino legislation uh, that ultimately passed, I think it passed in like 24 hours or 48 hours over the weekend. I remember hearing sports talk show host D talk about it. Yeah, even sports talk host. Don't go talking about sports. Mm, My beloved Bulls play the Bucks tonight. Anyway, uh, they were talking about it because it it had to do with uh, gambling, sports betting, and that was a big issue for them. Uh, Apparently that's what's they're hoping to get money uh advertising money revenue from that anyway and so they were trying to make sense of it i remember one sports uh, talk show host saying i don't know what's going on it's absolutely impossible to follow this stuff and then the next day they cut a deal so i'm sure most of the legislators oh hello i hadn't read the legislation had no idea what was in it and now all here we are all this time later trying to figure out uh, how to make it actually work so like i can understand why she's frustrated Lori Lightfoot by uh, not being able to pass something overnight, but the first legislation was passed essentially overnight. Ah, damn, the live stream paused. It's frozen. Brian the Techie is aware of the problem, and maybe we can get that fixed. The uh, smartest man in this entire building. Oh, my building. God, he's so smart. I know. His brain is huge. All right, moving on here. So that was uh, walk back number one. Number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on to the next one. We have an update on yesterday's out-of-nowhere statement from the mayor. It involved her ongoing dispute with Ben's favorite ride share company, Uber. <laughs> You love Uber, right? Uh, Tell us your thoughts on Uber, please. Well, first of all, when was the last time you Ubered? I've never, okay, I've never Ubered or Lyft because I don't have the app, but I've been with people who have done it. Like me. 
Yes, but that, I believe it was Lyft. Yeah, Is there yeah. a difference between Lyft and Uber just in I terms mean, of the service? Or? Not really. It's okay, the same thing. Same thing. So I've never actually had the pleasure of going doot, 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 doot on my phone because oh. they don't have that. I'm a old. If I'm going to take a if I'm going to, I'm a cab guy, all right? I'm going to. Brian has entered the building. Brian has entered the building. That's correct. Uh, thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. Anyway, if I'm going to get from A to B and it's not public transportation, a bike or a car, I'll take Lyft. And it's generally somebody else uh, doing the uh, app work for me. So I really have no opinion uh, of Uber other than my general sense of disgust and disdain for any of these high-tech industries uh, that people swear allegiance and love to uh, and without viewing the consequences to everybody else in the universe uh, from the pleasure they draw from it, if that makes any sense. Hey, guys, the live stream's back up. We're going now. And Brian fixed it. Brian, Brian, live stream audience, Brian. Yeah. I'm, it's taking everything I can to uh, restrain from asking Brian for his opinions about Godfather 2, because uh, in addition to being the smartest guy uh, in uh, this this building, he's a total movie geek. And I'm sure he has a lot of opinions about Godfather 2. But let's move on and not discuss Godfather 2. The mayor plans to regulate rideshare services by raising taxes on single rideshare rides in congested areas during peak weekday times. The mayor said it would reduce congestion downtown and raise revenues for the city's budget. Uber had, had a, an alternative proposal. Lightfoot quickly shot it down. Then came this. They offered up black ministers $54 million, a one-time deal, if they would convince the mayor um, to do away with any other kind of regulation. And as we walked these ministers through the realities of what's actually um, at stake here, I think they realized that, frankly, they'd been hoodwinked. When press... Oh, got a little bit of the news uh, there. When pressed. I <laughs> ah, we don't want to hear that part. <laughs> no, <laughs> I love it when the report. When pressed about blah, blah, blah. No, so she said that Uber offered black ministers a $54 million payoff to kill her $40 million congestion fee. This happened uh, during yesterday's show. Ben, recall here uh, your thoughts. Uh, first of all, for 10 trivia points, oh, who are we discussing it with? Yesterday's show. Yeah. It was, oh, Monroe Anderson and Mike Novak. I tell you what, the, the short-term memory needs some work, okay? Needs, <laughs> like sit-ups or push-ups you can do for short-term memory. I don't know. I, I love that discussion with Monroe Anderson. He's been around Chicago politics for a long time, both as a writer, uh, an observer, and on the inside as a press aide to uh, Eugene Sawyer. And his. we heard this, yes, uh, that story broke yesterday that uh, Lori Lightfoot had accused Uber of like giving, offering $54 million uh, to black ministers to get them to join their campaign. And Monroe did not believe it. He goes, first of all, it wouldn't take $54 million. I think we came down to $5.40 is all it would take. Uh, but I didn't believe that story when it broke yesterday. I had a lot of hard time believing. Uh, I just did not believe that story, D. I'm not saying it was a lie. I'm just saying maybe she misheard, right? Maybe she got things confused. It's hard to get everything straight, right? You ever write a column? All right, you got to get it all straight. Now, maybe Lord Lightfoot could appreciate the job of a columnist, okay? You know, it's hard. Someone tells you something, and you're thinking, you know, you think it's golden, but they got it wrong, and then you don't even quite got right what they told you, if that makes any sense. And so by the time you tell the story, it's so distorted from reality. You ever play that telephone game, D? Uh -huh. You know, so that... But that could be, and that if people 
people get upset with you know when I uh, like anything like you ask someone a, a direct question. Um, you spell your name. What? How do you think my name is spelled? My name is John. How do you? Well, it could be J O N, J O H N. You know, if you're a reporter, you got to be precise. People, they go, why are you asking me all these questions? We want to be precise. You want to be accurate. Uh, so, you know, Lori Lightfoot, uh, she was trained as a lawyer, D, not as a journalist. I've had um, a number of ministers who have met with us and said, Uber promised us $54 million. It Basically, if you back off. And I'm happy to provide names. Okay, that's what she said yesterday, correct? That was yesterday. That's and more. she's going to provide yeah. names. All right, go more. They keep throwing up all kinds of things against the wall, claiming that somehow um, uh, this mayor is um, going to be um, against black and brown communities. And there's more. And there's more, because here's our walk back. Number two. <laughs> the following comes from, once again, the Chicago Sun-Times, and once again, the hardest-working reporter in this whole damn city, Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Substituting the word payoff for investments, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Thursday today pulled back from the political bombshell she dropped this week about a publicly traded company that Uber offered black ministers a $54 million payoff to kill her $40 million congestion fee. Now the mayor is using the term, quote, investments to describe Uber's uh, Uber's offer to African-American ministers. Here's the quote from the mayor. Guys, I tried finding the audio. Really did. Couldn't. So you're stuck with me just reading the quotes. Here we go. Lightfoot, quote, my understanding, as I said yesterday, was that they offered up $54 million in, I'll put in air quotes, investments. What they're trying mm. to do is divide and conquer and pit one group against another. We've seen that happen historically in Chicago. We're not going to tolerate that. Mm. My values and the minister's values are aligned, which is bringing equity and fairness to communities that have been left behind. What we need to do is focus on what Uber and Lyft are trying to do uh, and why it's important to regulate them because of the congestion that's caused. Is in uh, Oh, yep, go ahead there. Yeah, all right, listen. Uh, first of all, this is, I believe, the second time Lori Lightfoot uh, has thrown out an accusation that she had a sort of back off from, if I recall, oh, oh talk about this is doing this, uh, just sitting right here, uh, I don't have it in front of me. It had to do with the police. Do you remember this one day? A lot of this show is about your memory. Uh, that's an interesting yeah, theme. I know. Uh, Miles it's is coming to the great. studio. Uh, <laughs> we're learning that. Uh, but uh, she, she was about the police, and she heard from somebody. Oh, I remember I was doing a gag about heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who uh, that she heard it from somebody that the police laid off off a weekend. They like had the blue flu or something. Remember that one? Okay, yeah. And then she had to back off of that one, and then the police got mad at her. But my lefty friends that I love all dearly got mad at me for like defending the police for being mad at her remember that one day and i mean it's come on you can't just make stuff up as you go along you have to have some you heard it from a friend who that's not good enough okay uh and so i remember that one with the police and then the guy got up at the police remember at the city council meeting the police the member of the fraternal order police got up and it was chastising her and she called him a clown and <laughs> then she, she said she didn't apologize for being calling him a clown she apologized for saying it in the microphone so i of course said she should apologize for calling him a clown uh but um my lefty friends then got mad at me 
Okay? How am I always getting in trouble with my lefty friends, man? Uh, so anyway, yeah, Lori Life, you got to work on that. You know, you're not just some corporate lawyer anymore uh, hanging around the, the corporate lawyer uh, water cooler in the corporate lawyer office. You're the mayor of the city of Chicago, all right? People really paying attention to what you say. Heard it from a friend you were messing around. <laughs> it's one of Miles' Correct. favorite songs, man. I know, he's digging it. <laughs> In shooting down what Uber called the mayor's, quote, categorically false charge, Uber's director of public policy, one Josh Gold, accused the mayor of, quote, confusing the $54 million in revenue that one of our proposals would have raised for her own budget. Yeah, I can actually see that. I'm trying to decipher and figure out how Lori Lightfoot got $54 million in her mind. Uh, and so some black minister probably told her, well, Uber told us this thing is good for $54 million, And somehow in her mind, it got turned into Uber was going to pay black ministers $54 million, which, as Monroe Anderson said, is a preposterous claim. Uh, and listen, man, playing along with the theme uh, of uh, the of today's show about lying and all the lying I saw in Godfather 2 last night. I read the article in today's bright one by uh, Fran Spielman and David Roeder, the great David Roeder, right oh, here at the Sun-Times. Maybe the second hardest working man in the building, all right? Yes. David Roeder, wow. D- David Roeder's a very hardworking journalist. Five computers at his desk <laughs> at one time. Don't bother me! Uh, but anyway, I, and I could not make heads or tails out of this story uh, and I may I break force Miles to read it and give him a quiz. Uh, Miles shaking his head. I don't want any part of that. Uh, it's just two forces throwing numbers out at people. That you don't even know if the numbers add up. And it has to do with Uber's contention that uh, their proposed tax rate would raise more money for the city than Mayor Lori Lightfoot's proposed tax rate. Somehow, I don't believe that's possible. And Uber also claims that not only would their proposed tax rate raise more money, but that people in poor neighborhoods would pay less of it. So it's a progressive tax, like Uber Uber, D. I know Uber is thinking about poor people. Like, that's the number one thing in their mind. So I can't make heads or tails out of the numbers, but I can tell you right now that I believe Uber cares about poor people about as much as I believe that senator and Godfather 2 was really seeking the truth when he interrogated Michael Corleone. Man, I'm really glad you saw that movie last night. Loved the movie. So there you are. That's what's going on locally, Chicago and or Illinois. We will keep you posted on those stories as today's program rolls along. People don't go anywhere because coming up after this short little break, our good friend Miles Camphalassin is back. Did you bring chicken sandwiches? Not today. Damn! <laughs> Damn! <laughs> one, Not one. today! I mean, when, when did we ever get a chicken sandwich? One of these days. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. Miles Cam Flaston will be joining us here. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, 
and listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times i like that song where'd you get that i was sitting in the library it's, it's sort of 70s doobie brothers sound hey doobie brothers <laughs> what a fool believes uh, <laughs> you could have had a radio career man uh, not really you know, well, something else uh, dennis does i can't just extol your virtues he's really good when we're driving in the car doing this what do you call it in radio? Countdown thing? Oh, uh, post? Hitting Hitch, the post. Hitting the post. Miles, you know what this is? It sounds like a basketball term to me. Uh, yeah, yes. It, yeah. it does. Or a football uh, pass play. But uh, this is a term that, that, that for radio, and DJs do this classic rock where you talk, you have like maybe five seconds of of a song before the singing starts. So the DJ... You want me to hit the post real quick? Yeah, come on. Wait, this right, guy. I'll hit the post. Here Watch we go. This. So this song's kind of... What, it's like 15, 20 seconds? All right, so uh, here we go. All right, here we go. Hey there, DJ Dennis here. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times, you're listening to The Ben Jarofsky Show. Coming up, weather, sports, and so much more. People do not go anywhere right now. Back to Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> That's how he does it. He does That's that in the, the car. It, it's called, and he'll do it like, uh, let, first, Garth Brooks. And he always does Garth Brooks, which cracks me up. This you know, I saw Garth Brooks last night perform on the Country Music He won Awards. Entertainer of the Year. He won Entertainer of the Year. And he performed with uh, Blake Hell Shelton. Yeah. I'm kind of a Garth Brooks fan, I gotta say. Wow, Garth Brooks is the man. But but every week you come in with like exploding my mind. It was Dylan <laughs> last week. Now it's Garth Brooks. Yeah. Um, I I did not even know. That's why I was watching Godfather. Have you ever seen Godfather too? Oh yeah, one of my faves. It is a great movie, and the, and the reason why I keep uh, Cuban Revolution is happening in the you know in real time in the movie. For ten, he does the Fredo kiss for ten trivia points. Where were the Cuban scenes actually filmed? Probably in Miami, I'm guessing. Little young, little Havana. Young Dennis, your guess? Uh, Florida Everglades. Well, <laughs> <Not> <laughs> 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 
the Dominican Republic. Oh, DR. Mm-hmm. Probably had better relations at that at that time. Yes. Uh, the movie was filmed in 1974, so there were no relations between yeah. the United States and Cuba back then. But uh, yeah, the, the scenes in Cuba are so incredible. I didn't even talk about that. I'm talking about the obsessive lying that takes mm-hmm. place in Godfather 2. Yeah, very apt for what's going on right now. Absolutely. On absolutely. We get into that. The unbelievable amount of lying and people doing it with just the utter sincerity. You know, like in in Godfather Two, uh, the part that just cracks me up when I think about it is when the gangsters talk to each other and I love you like no one else. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're plotting to kill each other. Well, it's very similar. To, you know, I've talked about this before, but this is you know when Donald Trump says that it was a perfect call, his Zelensky thing. It's all this mobster mentality of you know, oh, I didn't like give away the thing. You know, that's the is because he's speaking in code. Meanwhile, it turns out <laughs> he was said it so loud into a cell phone in a restaurant that it was overheard by at least two of these uh, embassy staffers. And, so. and I'm, that just makes me say this, one of my favorite topics. And I know uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by saying I shouldn't read it, but did you read the Chicago Tribune's editorial today? No, I missed Trump. that one. <laughs> it's like it's just like you said. It's so obvious that Trump and his people are lying yeah. about this perfect tape, and and their attitude is well, <laughs> you know. On one hand, he says this, and the other hand, they say that. It baffles us. We're just going <laughs> to turn the page. Meanwhile, they're so righteous about Michael Madigan. You know, oh, yeah. like Michael Madigan, the most He's dirtiest like, yeah. demon I've ever seen. Well, Trump has been really, <laughs> as you might expect, he does not allow any dissent. It's all about pledges of loyalty. So, you know, there's no, he has not given any room for any of his, you know, not just, uh, uh, spokespeople, but any Republican or any supporter of his to let anything go. You know, he, he said, stop focusing on the process. So much Democrats focus on the substance and defend me at all costs, you know, against everything. And so they're all in a box. They're trying to, you know, you saw the Nunes' testimony was all just calling Democrats, you know, he's crazy, you know, they're out to get it. It's all witch hunt stuff. They're not actually talking about any of the, the, uh, the claims because they can't. There's no defense for it. So that's, you know, you know, Trump has to have an iron fist. It's a kind of Corleone-like thing. And you remember, too, in the beginning, the first Godfather, the first line in the first film is, I believe in America, because he's telling the whole story. He's appealing for Tavito for, you know, to help, uh, you know, take care of his daughter's uh, evil husband or boyfriend or something like that. But it's all, you know, this is cloaked in this story of, you know, this is American exceptionalism. But you're right. It's all kind of premised on um, falsehoods. Yeah, and uh, while I'm at it, uh, there's that when Michael Corleone uh, is testifying in Congress in Godfather Two, uh, he invokes his service as a uh, in World War Two. Uh, in the, I think it was the Navy, the Marines, mm-hmm. and he goes, "I serve this country," uh, as though that has anything to do with the crimes yeah. that he's been charged with, like yeah. killing people, etc., and so forth. Now, when you hear Republicans. Uh, playing this role where they're just trying to distract America from the issue at hand, which is whether or not Donald Trump extorted uh, the Ukrainian president. So when you hear Republicans playing that game, do you think that they have a political alternative? In other words, if for, do you think it's impossible for a Republican to play the role of a concerned and objective investigator of these alleged crimes. 
do you think it's possible, like Lowell Weicker, way back when in Watergate, when he was he's a Republican yeah. senator from Connecticut who asked tough questions of Nixon's White House aides. He was pursu- clearly pursuing the truth. He was not a partisan in that uh, in that particular investigation. There is nobody even remotely resembling Lowell Weicker mm-hmm. uh, in the Republican Party now. And a question I have for you is, do you think it would be politically feasible for a Republican to play that role and still win re-election. Well, they might be able to win re-election, but they would be, uh, they don't want to take that risk because they'd be throwing the gears into what has been an incredibly successful uh, administration in terms of getting Republican uh, agenda through. I mean, the the tax cut that they got, I think they're still, you know, (laughs) dancing in their uh, riches and their corporate backers are very, very happy about that. But more importantly, I think has been, pushing through all these uh, justices and judges at the at the federal level. These are lifetime appointments. We saw one just go through uh, yesterday. So th- these are the type of things that this is Mitch McConnell's fantasy, you know, is getting all these people that are going to, you know, push the courts to radically to the right for at least one generation, perhaps more. And this is, you know, there's nothing another Democrat, there's a lot a Democrat can do when they come into office if they happen to beat Donald Trump uh, in terms of executive actions and repealing, but you can't change the makeup of the courts, you know, and this is what they have been dreaming of forever. So as long as that's happening under Donald Trump, I don't think they have much incentive to uh, betray him. And that's exactly what he would consider it and get his base to primary them. I mean, there, I think there is a political consequence in the fact that like 90% of Republicans still love Trump and like 20 to 30 percent of America really loves Trump. So, you know, they'll come out hard against anybody if they're, you know, whether it's uh, Chuck Grassley or anybody, if they're speaking against the president. No, I see the point you're making. You're drawing a distinction between uh, Trump's most loyal base who love the game that he's playing, who despise Democrats, despise lefties, despise liberals so much that anything, any politician like Trump who just gives them the middle finger the way he does, they'll cheer. Mm -hmm. And Republicans like the people who write these editorials for the Chicago Tribune who may not share that hatred of lefties or liberals so much, but really love the right... uh, word movement of this country with the judicial appointees and the tax yeah. breaks. And so they're willing to look the other way at all the lawlessness, the lying, the deceit. Well, if they weren't, look, after that Access Hollywood tape came out in the middle of the campaign and he did not lose, you know, nobody really left his campaign or denounced him. If they're willing to, you know, have this deeply flawed, not just morally, but clearly deeply corrupt uh, person lead their party and be the one that they take orders from, I can't imagine that, you know, any of the stuff that has come out so far is going to cause them to to uh, break ranks at this point. Yeah. Well, and I it was, shows there. I mean, I think that that shows what they actually care about, which is this craven, you know, anti-worker, far-right, conservative uh, agenda that they're all, you know, pray fealty to. Whereas, you know, there's a whole, as we can talk about in the 2020 election, there's a whole field of Democrats that are working to uh, undo that agenda that's been pushed down, you know, Americans' throats for the past. Two and a half years. So before we get uh, shift gears away from the investigation, uh, do you ultimately feel that the Democratic drive for impeachment uh, will have an impact uh, on on what happens in the next election? Or do you think it's just a matter of two separate camps? One side is not going to listen to the other. And when this proceeding is done, it's forgotten. 
I don't think it'll be forgotten. I mean, one unfortunate thing is, you know, Trump raised, they announced he raised $3 million since yesterday, you know, since the the, the first hearings went on air. So I do think there's going to be some, uh, it's going to help to drive up his support because he's out here, you know, doing these rallies, claiming it's a witch hunt and everything. But I think the bigger impact is that Americans don't like Donald Trump. You know, he's incredibly unpopular. He's historically unpopular. And uh, most Americans, as these polls show, want there to be an impeachment inquiry. And some polls even show they want him removed from office. So I think that in terms of building a coalition in order to take the president down, going through with the impeachment proceedings is, you know, what you should do also, just in the sense of like, we consider ourselves a democracy and are based on the rule of law. So when, you know, representatives, legislators that have been elected to office betray the public trust and, you know, conduct themselves in the way that President Trump has, bribing people and, you know, saying all kinds of horrible things. There has to be some accountability. I so. agree. And it, by the way, I said this yesterday, I'll say this every day. Let Bogoyevich out of jail. Right now, uh, Republicans who are so self-righteous about Rob Bogoyevich and his crimes back in the day when they were driving those impeachment hearings, uh, are the same Republicans who are ignoring the lying, the deceit, the crimes of Donald Trump and his administration. So if you're not going to be... And they were allied with like Denny Hassert and these people that are like, you know, career criminals. So I don't think that the Republicans have much high ground in which to claim leadership. I'm telling you, man, Godfather 2 got it right in 1974. Uh, all right, enough Godfather 2. I'll probably be talking about it all day, Miles. It's really on my mind. But something else that's on my mind, it's, it's amazing how our minds seem to be in sync, uh, is the media's attitude uh, to one Senator Bernie Sanders. I just wrote a column about this. Uh, it's in the reader. It came out this week, and I've been... Um, Telling oh, El Dragon, who I went to the movie list last night, Dennis, all my friends who are really hardcore Bernie supporters, uh, that I have come to the conclusion that you are right. That there, it's so obvious. And then the lefties look at me, Ben. What took you so long? Well, you know, I thought about it. I, it you're right. There I remember is, back when you were drinking the Kamala Kool Aid. Oh, so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh Lord. Mm. <laughs> Ah, it's almost empty. There's just a little <laughs> bit left. The Kamala Kool-Aid. Man, I'm, I've been sipping a lot of different Kool-Aids uh, in this presidential race. It's really... Uh, but the, the, the bias against Bernie uh, is real. Yeah. It's I, uh, I see it uh, in coverage of the polls. And I'm talking, to the ma- I'm talking about the mainstream media. I'm talking about like the New York Times... Uh, and uh, you, um, you, you have a story here, MSNBC's Bernie Blackout. You did not write it. It's in the in these times wrote it. So why don't you uh, summarize what uh, in these times was getting at uh, in this story, and then I'll tell you about my thoughts on this. Go ahead. So it's very easy to anecdotally look at any news clip and say that the uh, media is slanted against your candidate. You know, there's so much personality driving, uh, so much media coverage, and that's understandable. So that's why what we decided to do with this story and it's uh, written by uh, Bronco Marstich, who's a, a writer, investigative fellow for us at In These Times. Um, uh, we decided to look more at the uh, numbers, you know, and try to actually judge based on the coverage over a two-month period. We looked at uh, August and September and saw what their primetime news coverage was like, who were they, who they were covering, and what those, what that type of coverage was like. And so there's, you know, statistics in the there was. Um, 
240 different episodes that we looked at, and 64% of them discussed Biden, 43% discussed Warren, and 30, only 36 um, discussed Sanders. So that's about a quarter of what was... Uh, Run know. that down again. What did you say? So um, 64% of them discussed Biden of the of the episodes. 43% discussed Warren, and 36 discussed uh, Stan, uh, Sanders. And the skew towards Biden, I mean, this was not, uh, obviously, you know, people would talk about the Ukraine scandal and that would cause him to be discussed more, but this was going on in August, even before the Ukraine scandal uh, broke this uh, um, lopsided coverage. And the coverage that there was of Bernie Sanders was far more likely to be negative than it was for either Warren or for uh, Biden. This is, you know, this is the the reason that this is so important as well as I'm sure many of your listeners watch MSNBC, but is the most watched network amongst liberals. And it is the network that is poised to have the biggest impact on the 2020 Democratic primary, because these are likely Democratic voters. These are the ones who are engaged right now. Um, and this type of coverage will have a big influence because this is the only, you know, source of information on these people are not watching necessarily CNN or Fox News. And they're certainly not reading in these times of the Chicago Reader. So they're not, you know, getting access to what's going on. And during this period, you know, Bernie Sanders was between number two and number three in the polls. Uh, the amount the amount of coverage, the, the you know, lack of coverage that he got and the um, amount of it that was negative and critical about him, not just about his age, about all different, you know, aspects aspects of Senator Sanders. And it was also it was so focused on polls and electability and very devoid of uh, policy discussion, which is the thing that's actually going to impact Americans' lives. You know, that's what's my broader problem with the media landscape right now and how electoral coverage operates is that it focuses so much on trying to make the viewers pundits themselves, you know, so they're trying mm-hmm. to see, yes. oh, where, who's up and da- who's up and down, and that's how we have to think about it. He's more likely to win win rather than who you want to win, rather than who you support and what your, you know, your politics line up with. And I think that that was very much reflected in this coverage as well. So I worked on the story, you know, editing it and have a little intro in the um, in the magazine. But uh, overall, this was, you know, we had researchers going through and watching these clips, you know, and reading through the transcripts and everything. And we feature a lot of them on this on the story. So it's live at InTheseTimes.com right now. I encourage folks to um, read it. But I think that it's also very important that we take a step back and see this as part of a broader um, approach to Bernie Sanders' candidacy by the media, which comes out of the fact that a lot of the people that are you know, guiding this media coverage, not necessarily all the journalists themselves, but certainly the punditry class and the people that own these corporate media outlets have um, an issue with the type of agenda that Bernie Sanders is pushing and the way that he is building his campaign, which is talks about, you know, a political revolution, talks about taking on the corporate elites and the ruling class, which talks about um, providing an alternative to the you know neoliberal market driven framework that has guided uh, American politics for at least the past uh, four decades. So I think that it's really this viewing Bernie Sanders as a threat. And that's why it's a throwback to 2016. That's why so many of us see, oh, it's just a redux because we saw what happened um, four years uh, back in 2016 and the lack of uh, airtime given to Bernie Sanders. I mean, you remember it was I think it was March 15th of 2016 and uh, Bernie Sanders giving a fiery speech to uh, supporters in Phoenix, Arizona, and all of the major cable networks, so CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, cut away from that speech. This is in the middle of the primary, and they showed an empty podium that was awaiting Donald Trump. 
And that was just, you know, how the media covered uh, that the, the race that time was just, you know, giving free network airtime to Donald Trump because they thought, oh, people want to see Trump. And Lord knows, you know, we don't want to be giving free airtime to Sanders. So they cut away from Bernie Sanders showing show an empty podium. So I think that it's important to keep in mind that this is part of a larger well, um, okay. ecosystem. Now, let's talk about that ecosystem. Break down what you just, the example you just gave. I've forgotten that example. I don't even know if I ever knew that example. I've, I can't remember what I knew. Uh, <laughs> I, I sadly have, you know, uh, stuck so, up there. All right, but, um, all right, so just when I listen to that, uh, your uh, analysis of what went down, it seems to me there's a couple things being at play there. One is the pure entertainment factor of Donald Trump. Putting it all aside, Donald Trump is, quote unquote, entertaining. He's a character. He lies. He, he makes up names about other people. He breaks all the rules of conventional uh, politicking. He is a celebrity. He hangs out with rich people. He himself is rich. His name is everywhere. Yeah. So there's an entertainment factor. And so part of that is Donald Trump's about to speak. Everybody wants to hear what he has to say, even if they disagree with him, because he drives the, the talk. And whereas Bernie, what, is not entertaining? Bernie is like eating your vegetables. <laughs> Bernie is this really weird, uh, abnormal person for our, the, what is American politics. Yeah. And so that's different than an ideological uh, I reason. I think it's partially for, true, but I think that the, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily that the uh, MSNBC or Fox News executives were like, oh, Trump's going to be better for us and our business models. So that's why we're going to show him. I think there's all kinds of reasons that went into that. But I definitely think that, you know, people see Bernie Sanders giving, saying a lot of the same lines he's said for now, you know, his past 30 years in, in public life and say, oh, yeah, that's boring or that's, you know, that's not what the people want. But when you look at the fact that he's has, you know, the biggest rally of the entire campaign season with 26,000 people in New York and that he's, you know, has the bigger, biggest uh, rallies in Iowa now that, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was down there with him last weekend. He's got over a million uh, donors and volunteers. He's got the biggest, you know, campaign set up in, in many of the early states of any candidate. There's people excited about it. You know, it's not as if there's not grassroots, genuine excitement, but that's happening um, despite the media's lack of coverage, not because they're giving him free airtime, which is what happened to Donald Trump. There wasn't this massive grassroots movement behind Donald Trump. He was just everywhere you looked on the media. And, you know, people thought, oh, it's him or, you know, crooked Hillary now is the, <laughs> yeah. what we have to deal with. And because they weren't given Bernie Sanders as, a, as an option. And that's why I think you'll see that as this primary uh, continues on and now we have a new uh, entrant of all Patrick who I could go on about. We'll get to um, that later. Yeah. But that's, uh, you know, you, I think you're going to continue to see this trend of, of Bernie Sanders being sidelined and, that means that there has to be not just alternative media organs to actually talk about this, uh, the ideas he's talking about, like just today, him and uh, AOC came out with this big housing plan to reinvest in public housing, Green New Deal for housing. And not only does that need to happen, but we need to call out this these omissions by the corporate media when they happen, because otherwise people will just accept it as the this is just how it goes. You know, Bernie Sanders is second in a poll and the media covers it as, oh, Biden has a, uh, Buttigieg has a strong 
strong fourth place showing between and then we have you know Biden and Warren up top and don't even mention Bernie Sanders is going on in the headlines we need to call that out because it's not just anecdotal that's what I'm saying is it's part of not just a trend but the approach to uh, this campaign that has been done by all types of corporate media outlets well I had a light go off in my head uh, I'll then I'll apropos to everything you just got uh, finished saying, which occurred to me uh, last weekend when I sat down to read the New York Times. And I was, as always, I read everybody, okay? You know, all sides uh, of the aisle to figure out, you know, maybe I uh, uh, they can convince me of something. And in particular, uh, I'm always, I'm, I'm really curious about how the best political minds in this country uh, think Donald, what what will it take to defeat Donald Trump? So what should the Democrats do to defeat Donald Trump? So as such, I had two alternatives in that newspaper that day. I had a gentleman named Timothy Egan, who is sort of left of center populist. And I had a gentleman uh, named, again, I'm blanking on his name, uh, the right winger. Anyway, Brett Brett Stevens, Stevens. yes, who is a uh, right winger who, but this, this dislikes Donald Trump. Okay, so as such, he's basically a Republican. He's he represents that portion of the Republican Party that's embarrassed by Donald Trump and wants an alt- to vote for an alternative. But he cannot, from an ideological standpoint, stomach any of the Democrats. So, which is a curious thing. I'll just let's pause to think about this one for a second, Miles. Why are there no hold your nose and vote for whoever the Democrats uh, put up Republicans? What do they care about the ideology of the Democrat? If you believe that Donald Trump is a lying sack of beep and is really detrimental to the future of mankind. Thank you for cleaning that up. Come on. I thought that was you, Dennis. Yeah. He knows. It's like he pushes a button. Beep. Uh, and if you if that's what you believe, then. Why wouldn't you vote? Even if you're Brett Stevens yeah. and you're right of center, you, you you would vote for Bernie Sanders and then immediately use all the powers at your command to stifle Bernie Sanders from getting his agenda through. Yeah. That's politics. But why would you feel compelled to totally bash? Yeah. Anyway, well, you'll see. You've seen this whole. There's a whole cottage industry of Republicans who now have become like Democratic analysts that are all commenting on 2020 and what Democrats should do, as if these people that are you know diametrically opposed to the Democratic Party and you know Democrats winning power uh, are the best people we should turn to for advice about uh, you know you get that. And that's and, and the sad thing is, and we've talked about this before, is you watch you know this week on ABC and it's the Chris Christie has given Democrats advice for one who's, you know, one of Donald Trump's closest uh, confidants. And then you, Rahm Emanuel is all we have to represent the, you know, the alternative viewpoint. And he's talking about how Medicare for all is, uh, you know, the wrong way to go. Well, and he's making money off well, of the private the, insurance industry. So this this is um, the, the, the conclusion I've reached. And that is the whole discussion of electability is largely a ruse to distract people from the fact that the pundits or editorial writers who are talking about electability or the talking heads do not like the positions and policies that the Bernie Sanders people are espousing. And they oppose the policies, but instead of coming out and saying they oppose the policies, what they tell their readers and their listeners is that he can't possibly win. Yeah. 
And I would have more respect for them if they came out and said, this is why I think these policies are bad for a country. I would probably vehemently disagree with them, uh, as I do, but the whole notion of electability, I just think is a phony issue. And I, this came home to me when I was reading this, uh, uh, this column by, oh boy, Timothy Egan, where he talked about his sister, who is a Walmart worker in Oregon and uh, is barely above poverty. And she voted for, according to Egan, she voted for Donald Trump and uh, is probably going to vote for Donald Trump again. All right. And mainly because she despises the scolding attitude of elitist Democrats who are always trying to tell people like her that there's something wrong with her for supporting a Republican who is advocating policies that are against her best interests. So just think about this. This is how extreme she is. She despises Democrats because they're mad at her because she's voting for Donald Trump. So the only Democrat she would support would be someone who wouldn't scold her. And really the only Democrat or the, the, Number one guy on that chart, if that's your thing, would be Bernie Sanders because he's made it clear from the get-go, Miles, that he doesn't hold a grudge against Trump voters. He pisses pisses off some of his lefty liberal supporters by saying that. Of course, when he went on Fox News, and that's what's so, you know, when he went on Fox News and did that town hall, that was like the most, you know, fair coverage that that network has ever given him because it was just him getting to talk to people. And you remember, he famously, you know, the, the host, Brett Baer, I forget who it was, said, you know, who in here supports Medicare for all? <laughs> all of people's hands went up. He also did a, a that was town, awesome. It was pretty good. He also did a town hall in West Virginia, um, talking to um, former coal mine workers and people that had been, you know, th- that would face some consequences as the result of a transition to um, renewable energy and, you know, Medicare for all as well. And he, he just won these people over. If you watch that uh, uh, town hall, that's from like uh, over a year ago, but it's just incredible the compassion that he presented. So I do agree. Like, you know, if you, if you're worried about the Democrats being too scaring away Trump voters or just, you know, shaming them or something, Thing, it's the, the least likely person least to do that. Least likely. And by the way, so Tim Egan, after laying this out, goes on to quote Barack Obama, who's criticizing uh, the lefties for being woke. I don't know if you saw that uh, that yeah, Obama so. quote. It's oh, Every centrist I know is putting on his Facebook. Yeah. It's like porn for centrists. Yeah. Look at this. Whoa. <laughs> I really love Look at Barack Obama said it. The ultimate centrist said, you know, he's mad at lefties. Always. They're always mad at lefties. Uh, And uh, you remember they coined that term. It was Robert Gibbs called it the establishment left. That was his term when he was Obama's uh, press secretary. So it's been an early that's that's been a long term. I didn't know know that that the Uh, Obama's had this axe to uh, grind against the lefties. against lefties. By the way, who elected him? He he Barack Obama would not be president, have been president of the United States if it wasn't for the lefties in Iowa who viewed him as an anti-war candidate over Hillary Clinton on the issue, but I know this is the ancient history yeah. of the Iraqi war because Obama, Obama was against it. Uh, and when those lefties in Iowa joined together to help him win the Iowa caucus, the next day, a black America woke up to the fact that white people were voting for Obama. Yeah. Well, maybe we're looking for, you know what I mean? You know, so kind of for a guy who owes his career to lefties, boy, he's just sure funny way. But here's the deal. Egan did not offer up 
in his column, Bernie Sanders as an alternative. He talks about Pete Buttigieg, is that the other thing, you know? And I'm like, why the obvious choice as for someone who would appeal to your sister would be Bernie? And that doesn't even mention Bernie. And then across the page, you got old boy Stevens extolling the virtues of Michael Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. um, finally, uh, a Democrat I could vote for is Stevens' attitude. Michael Bloomberg. I'm like, Michael Bloomberg would be the last Democrat in the world that Team Tim Egan's sister would vote for. But you know what he, you know he, you know who would vote for him is Jeff Bezos, who had the <laughs> secret call with him uh, weeks ago, encouraging Bloomberg to enter the race. You know the, How did the wealthiest. I miss that? It's true, the wealthiest man in the uh, on, on earth. Watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, time out. Talk about that a little. Well, I didn't know about the call. I, I, the, this is, you know, as uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez called it, real class solidarity. Here is the, the, you know, the uh, <laughs> you have Jeff Bezos, who's, you know, uh, you know, the richest man in the world, this multi multi billionaire, has got what 107 billion dollars. Uh, no, that's Bill Gates has 107 billion dollars. Uh, Bezos says even more. Uh, he called up Michael Bloomberg and really encouraged him to enter the race. And lo and behold, he's. Um, you know, signed up for the Alabama primary at the least. So he's definitely getting his feet in the water and he's ready to go to be the, uh, and what's funny is there's already a different billionaire in the race, Tom Steyer, who, you know, it's like as if the billionaires need another candidate in the race. And then obviously Donald Trump is a billionaire as well. So, well, we don't know about that. Yeah, We're waiting fair. for those uh, income tax returns yeah. to come out. They may come out, uh, but uh yeah, no, yeah, so... I think that that just shows that this is... I also, I think that it relates to why Deval Patrick got in the race today. He was so close with uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. I mean, mm -hmm. he is one of their um, closest friends, and he was the governor of Massachusetts for uh, for two terms. And he comes from some of the same background as Obama. He is from also Chicago, which he talks about a lot. He's from the uh, south side of Chicago before he moved over to Boston and got involved in politics there. But he's also the classic kind of Rahm Emanuel style politician where he's got his entire career has been based off of working for uh, firms. And, you know, right now he's, you know, he's most recently been working for Bain Capital, which is of the infamous, you know, Mitt Romney uh, uh, past. And then also he's worked for he worked for this foreclosure firm where he was making $360,000 for AmeriQuest, which was the one of the largest lenders during the housing bubble, and then you know was one of the biggest players in pushing people out of their homes in the foreclosure crisis. And uh, you know this is where Deval Patrick was getting his money. So he's another, I think, uh, entrant who's going to try to take that centrist lane. And I think it speaks to the fact that they're pretty worried. Like They see what's going on and where things are falling. And uh, I forget who it was, somebody called a, a, the... A, Biden right now is kind of wet tinder. He's like, you know, he's he does not seem like the kind of person you expect to like have a spark. I can't imagine him building up more support than he has now. And certainly Deval Patrick's entrance in the race is going to affect his popularity among black voters. Um, and so they're like, what are we going to do? We need to get somebody else because otherwise it's Bernie and Warren. And they really don't want uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren to be the nominee. Just think about this. 
just think about this. Uh, yeah, and and uh, Patrick has was the one who said the process is cruel. I'm not getting in the race, and now he's jumping in the race. Mike Bloomberg had ruled out running. Now he's jumping exactly. in the race. Exactly. So something. So something's motivating them, and it's looking at the the polls and seeing. Look, we're just a few months away. You know, this is coming up soon. So if they want to stop, you know, uh, say it. If they want to stop, if they want to stop Bernie Sanders. This is what they have to do. And yeah. so there. And and so I think that that's you know ultimately in the back because that's what you know Deval Patrick said today. He's, he's He's not for Medicare for all. He's, you know, he wants to reduce student debt, but he doesn't like the plans that are out there. He thinks, you know, we don't know. He doesn't know if we really need a wealth tax. His wealth isn't the problem. Greed is the problem. You know, he's providing an opportunity for all these people that want to occupy that centrist lane that don't speak in the in the message of, uh, frankly, class warfare that Bernie Sanders does a place to go that's not, you know, Buttigieg or Kamala Harris. Yeah. So it's a couple things. One, it's uh, just personal ambition. Hey, I could win this thing. I see a path, so I'm going to do it. Uh, And it's uh, also dressed up as concern about (laughs) the electability. Again, they'll be running, they'll say it's Bernie is unelectable, uh, but in reality, they're running to defend these interests. Yeah. And yeah. Well, because the programs are popular. That's the thing is they can't criticize. I mean, even that's why when we talk about Ron Manuel's cynical criticisms of Medicare for all, he says they're going to strip. It's going to strip health care, which is so dishonest and a complete misreading. It's going to you know take on the insurance industry, which has been gobbling up one hundred billion dollars in profit every year. That's what it's going to do. Like that's the reason that they are opposed to it, but they won't say that. So they make up these, and they they won't do that about these other issues like student debt or like tuition free college or like a $15 minimum wage, these incredibly popular programs, which is exactly what uh, Bernie and the you know left lane are running on. They can't do that. So ex- exactly. That's the much easier point is to say, look, we have the most dangerous president ever and we we can't risk yeah. a Bernie Sanders. We got to go with, you know, Joe Biden who can't do events at night because his brain hurts. Well, and yeah, so the the person that was sort of identified as the centrist candidate uh, is obviously failing yeah. uh, the test of running a campaign. So other people see this uh, as a great opportunity for uh, them to jump into the race. Uh, yeah, that that uh, point is obvious. Uh, but I also have to put point this out. If Bernie Sanders were elected president uh, and on a platform of Medicare for all, free college, uh, et cetera, and so forth. That, at this point is so obvious, but I have to make it, is absolutely no guarantee that any of the programs he ran on would pass. Yeah. And so all the moderates who are afraid of those programs could then turn around and fight them if they wanted to. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying if they wanted to, if they thought it was in the best interest of the country to try to block Bernie Sanders for imposing a Medicare for all plan, they could fight it. In so it's not like it's they the notion that we have, they have to scare Americans into worrying about something that Bernie Sanders uh, is proposing is nonsense. I do you follow me? There's- yeah. Well, also, I mean, I think that the promise of having somebody like Bernie in office is like, look what happened with Trump, right? They all, the Republicans all hated Trump. They did everything they could to stop him, to blunt his momentum, to, you know, push Ted Cruz at the end of that campaign to make him the Republican nominee. And yet when Trump got the nomination and then got inaugurated as president, 
they all fell in line and they're not speaking out against his policies. The most you'll get is Lindsey Graham's being upset about, you know, pulling uh, troops from Syria, but they didn't do anything to stop it. They're not doing anything to stop his continued support of Saudi Arabia during the devastating Yemen war. You know, the Republicans are falling in line completely with this person that they pushed so hard against. So I think that it would make sense for Democrats to take a look at that and see, like, look, maybe if we uh, believe in the type of things we're talking about, which is, you know, everybody deserves health care and that, you know, we've got, we got to present a program to build up middle class jobs and reinvest in infrastructure and all the things that are just classic Democratic Party taglines, then we should support the person that's the most likely to actually be willing to risk and put on the line implementing those things, because that's the only way to push back against this rightward lurch that we've seen in the country in in recent years. And... If you're angry at Bernie Sanders for, you know, being too outside of the establishment, just look at what Donald Trump was able to do by saying he was the outsider anti-establishment candidate. That in a general election, I think, is a big benefit to uh, rather than uh, a problem with your electoral uh, capabilities and your likelihood of winning. Well, I, I, I would say this. If Bernie Sanders were somehow or other elected uh, president of the United States, I do not believe Democrats would fall in line behind Bernie the way Republicans have fallen in line behind uh, Trump. I believe that, first of all, there's two different mentalities, the Democratic mentality and the Republican mentality. Uh, the Republicans are a fallen line creatures. And also Donald Trump, he's if he's good at anything, it's at bullying people into falling in line. He bull- he is such a good bully. He somehow or other bullied the city of Chicago to allow to put his name on that building, which is in violation of every t- taste standard. Yeah. No other building has a sign that big. And by the way, it came after he gave $50,000 campaign donation to one Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Let's not forget mm-hmm. that. The same Mayor Rahm Emanuel is up there with Chris Christie giving de- advice to Democrats. Trump, Trump famously said once, I, I like Rahm. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> so Trump's good at bullying people. I don't see Bernie uh, having the same power. I didn't Barack Obama. The Democrats did not fall in line behind Barack Obama. Uh, in, in any way, the way Republicans have fallen in line uh, behind Donald Trump. I could tell you right now that um, they certainly didn't fall in line. There, there were certain more, uh, let's put it this way. The Democrats were far more, quote unquote, objective about Barack Obama's power policies for better or for worse the republicans are about this impeachment going on yeah. so all right anyway uh, david seaton has joined us he's my next guest and uh, i'm really happy to bring him on before i do uh miles conflassen give folks all the information they should know about you to follow you read your stories etc and so forth sure uh check out that uh story it's called uh msnbc's bernie blackout uh it's on uh, in these times.com right now um just went live this morning um, I will be uh, check out in these times for my writing uh, in the future. Follow me on Twitter at, at Miles K. Lassen. And um, yeah, that's about it. All right. One last thing before I let you go. Uh, uh, Dennis, look over there. Are you excited about the Bulls? Uh, you know, look, that Kobe White game, I'm kicking myself for not going on Tuesday because I bet the UC was was bumping, you know, Kobe. Hey, there's the... nothing over there. You guys talking about sports? <laughs> no, no, look over there. Huh? <laughs> Might be able to take out the Bucks. I don't know. What I'm also excited about is, you know, they're trying out these teams. They're trying out Kaepernick with these teams. The Bears need a quarterback. Saturday, they're going to scout him. I think. Wait, time out. Hold. Stephen A. Smith was talking, but this is the Bears' best chance. Wait, time out. Hold it. 
I've been in the bubble. I did not see this. Are you telling me that the Chicago Bears are actually going to send a scout? The Bears? I don't believe it. It's it's happening on it's happening on Saturday. They I know it's happening right. on Saturday. I know that he's giving a tryout, a general tryout. Yeah. But my belief about the Chicago Bears, and I'm a lifelong Chicago Bear fan. Look at David Seaton right. I don't know if he's a sports fan, but I'm a lifelong Chicago Bear fan. And the Bears have issues with black quarterbacks. I'm just putting it out there, mm-hmm. David Seaton. I'm putting it out there. They did not, uh, they had a chance to get uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I can go on and on, but Dennis is getting mad. There's a political edge Come to this. Come on, boys. There definitely is. They and took Mitch Trubisky, man. Come on. Well, the other person with so single interest is Cam Newton, who would be another, you know, so who, who knows? Dennis once said Cam Newton. Remember my face lit up? Like, we can get oh, Cam yeah. Newton? <laughs> Oh, I'm 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 pulling for Kaepernick, but I also I mean I I am the eternal optimist. I generally th- I don't think this is the Bulls' year, but I think that you know there's yeah. some good things happening. And Wendell I, Carter Jr. and and Kobe White are the two. I was ones. there Tuesday. Oh, you I were was, there? Yes, I was, and I was like, yeah, put the rookie in, and they put him in. He hit the seven threes. I was so happy. <laughs> All right, boys, that's your sports talk for the day. <laughs> All right, anyway, Thanks, thank Steve. you so much, Miles, and uh, we'll move on with David Seaton after this break. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Hey, podcast fans. That's you, right? You're listening to this. So I'm assuming you're a podcast fan. Well, hey, the Sun-Times political web series, The Fran Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast. Have you checked it out yet? Yeah? What'd you think? Pretty good? What's that? No? Oh, my God. You got to check it out. The Fran Spielman Show features weekly interviews with the lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Fran, she holds nothing back. I was there watching her do the interview uh, last week. She held nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now you, that's Y-O-U, can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. 
One more time, that's suntimes.com forward slash F-R-A-N hyphen show. The B-E-N Jarofsky Show. Hour number two is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. These unions are awesome. Thank you for sponsoring our show. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's do it. It is Thursday, November 14th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of co-host of WVON's Seton and Buchanan. It's Seton, David Seton. And now your host, host of the Ben Jarofsky Show, it's Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> David Seaton is in the studio. David Seaton, the pride of joy of Proviso West High School, is in the studio. Uh, and we'll get to him. But first, D, you got an update. Absolutely, I do here. Uh, we have an update. Yeah, it turns out we had a veto session today. And it looks like we have a few veto session updates. Oh, okay. oh Ben, don't look too excited. <laughs> I love a veto session. <laughs> All right, so let's read what we got here. The following comes from some fella named Finky in the Springfield Journal Register. Ben, you read the Springfield Journal Register at all? Not lately. Oh, okay. so you don't know nothing much about Finky? Uh, no. Uh, hmm. I've, I've, nope. All right, well, it says here, Governor J.B. Pritzker secured his top veto session priority when the Illinois Senate gave final approval to a bill consolidating downstate police and fire pension systems. The Senate voted 42 to 12 on Senate Bill 1300, which has been touted by supporters as a way to improve investment returns for hundreds of systems, which would in turn help take pressure off of local property taxes that help pay for them. Uh, we have some more updates here. A bill capping out-of-pocket insulin costs at $100 a month is up for Governor J.B. Pritzker's signature. The Senate voted 43 to 1 to give final approval, uh, approval to that bill. The chamber had to approve a couple of minor changes made to the legislation in the House. Let's see here. Uh, we have more. Illinois lawmakers are one step closer to approving permanent daylight savings time. Oh, I'm with that 100%. What do you think about that, David? I don't know how they're going to get away with that one. Okay. Don't they do that in Arizona? They have it. They do it in two states, Arizona and one other state. <laughs> wow. How did you know that? <laughs> David Seaton, how did you know there were two? I knew it was Arizona. I was going to say, it says here, only Arizona and Hawaii residents are free exactly. from exactly. the biannual Hawaii. clock tinkering that comes with daylight savings time. I hate daylight savings. That's the worst. It sucks. Let's see here. Oh, wow, being very candid this afternoon. Bill's aimed at uh, curbing where Illinoisans can use electronic smoking devices and uh, with what flavorings appear halted until the spring session of the General assembly and uh looks like that's all the updates we got there so. all right part of my problem david seaton with daylight savings time i have a confession to make i'm dyslexic so i'm always confused in <laughs> the confessional music i'm always confused all right wait is it going up it's going back and then uh, just, man and then the clock and then it took like a week to get the 
the, this clock over here in the, that on the wall, we have two clocks on the wall, and nobody updated them. <laughs> so I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute, where are we? Finally, I did it. I went updated. Very mechanical guy. I used to hate daylight savings time as a kid because I had to go to church eight days a week. So on Sunday, I said eight days a week. Yeah. Was, so on huh? so on Sunday, the first service would be at eight a.m. Mm. So in the spring, when you when you when you spring spring forward, I would have to be up at seven a.m. <laughs> yeah. And because the time changes, you know, uh, late, you know, two a.m. on Sunday. You know, so I, I just I Threw just you dread that. I, I do just, you still go to church every week? I do not. Okay, that's a subject for another time. I'd be happy to have that conversation. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I don't. We, we don't. We stay a lot away from theological discussions on the Ben Jarofsky show because you go every week, uh, <laughs> right, Ben? Every day. Mm-mm. Every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we stay away from. I'm, I'm not a big practitioner of any religion. Um, I'm Jewish, but I don't really practice. The, well, take really out of that sentence. So, uh, but you know, I respect everybody. They got their the religious beliefs, so long they're not intolerant and they're not preaching hate. And well, we could, we could. That's why I could talk about this all day because, yeah. unfortunately, we've got a theocracy in this country on the right, and that's where the issue comes in when people try to take their personal beliefs and their personal interpretations and then try to legislate for the population. Now, okay, I, I, uh, every guest that comes on this show, we have a, tw- uh, a text exchange, a phone conversation before we do the show over what are we going to talk about? And <laughs> this was not on the list, but I cannot resist it. So allow me uh, to just take a little moment to have you uh, get, take a little deeper dive in this. So with the, with, did a light go on? Like you said, you went to a, you grew up as a church goer. You were going to church. You said eight days a week. I presume you were joking. Seven I, days a week. No, it was, it was eight days yeah. a week. Uh, there's a song they wrote about it. Eight days a week. All right. So you went to church all the time. Correct. And uh, so did a light go on at some point? At some point, I had some distance. Uh, I had enough distance from church, and it just happened just because of how life happens. Uh, but I had enough distance that I was able to look at it through through just I, I was able to evaluate it critically and that and that's unfortunately what happens when you're indoctrinated in church and that's why I can I can simp, I can empathize with people on the right if you are if you are brought up in the church the the two things that you are taught is that number one you can't question God and because your pastor or your bishop or whatever you call him is an emissary of God you by extension cannot question that individual so if you're born, if you're, if you grow up in the church from a very young age, you don't get, you don't, you never critically evaluate. Why do I believe you can tell people what, who, what, when, where, and why, mm-hmm. but you can never answer, or, or I'm sorry, who, what, when, where, but you can never answer why you believe what you believe. And that's, what's more important. So once I got to a point in my life that I was able to have some distance and I was able to critically evaluate, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? That's what brought me to the brought me to the place where I am now, where I, I no longer am religious. And David, would it be safe to say you uh, once were blind, but now you see? I think I think that was I think that, that ironically enough. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> he kind of flipped the switch on you, uh, but that is actually uh, I was once was blind and now can see is a really profound uh, line that I think about actually a lot. I remember when, of course, Barack Obama was singing it and destroying the song. Amazing. 
amazing grace. Uh, but the notion that you have a revelation uh, and that revelation is profound and life-changing. Uh, and now in that song, it has to do with uh, a, a, a slaver uh, coming to realize that that's a um, unjust and uh, sinful uh, existence. And, and so he, it's like a really profound life changing for the good, I exactly. would say, exactly. uh, and that you can change, uh, it, it, I, I'm your case. You went away from religion when you had your, uh, when you suddenly saw, and again, speaking as an African-American man that who grew up in a Southern Baptist, uh, denomination of Christianity, it, it's amazing to me how African-Americans and and European Americans, Caucasians and black people in this country, for the most part, you know, Christianity, I think people in this country are about 71 percent Christian and, you know, people go to church on Sunday. They read the same book. They're praying to the same God. But their ideas about fundamental right and wrong and and who should have the right to do those those, those the, the interpretation is so I mean, it's 180 degrees opposite. So. So, again, that's part of my awakening is yeah. that how could how could how could i and how, how could i and this other individual be reading the exact same book praying to the same god believing the same core things but then when we walk outside of the church mm-hmm. we are our, our our ideas and our world views are completely different so if, if you believe that religion is what it is and that God is who he is and, and, the, and the basic tenets of the Christian faith, that should supersede your cultural identity. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, in this country, it doesn't. Well, uh, it's interesting. These things are on my mind a lot. Last night, I've been talking about this all day. I saw uh, Godfather 2 again, and I don't know if you've ever seen Godfather 2, uh, but uh, I've been talking so much about how the movie's about lies, how people lie all the time. But another big part of that movie is the way in which the mobsters sort of buy their penance uh, through the Catholic Church. So they'll, and or they'll use uh, religious uh, rituals to sort of cover up their murders. So for instance, they'll be in church while their henchmen are out slaughtering their rivals, or after having slaughtered their rivals, they'll make a contribution to the church to buy uh, their penance. In other words, they have this faith in this church. They abide by these rules of the church when they're within the church. And then in their everyday life, they're completely contradicting all the rules that the church promulgates. So the one, the one thing you can take away from that movie that is uh, applicable to the, the time in which we find ourselves is that one of the, un, the, the other underlying tenets of the movie is blind, obsequious fealty. You cannot question the order. If the, if, if the guy, if the Godfather says to do something, you must do it. And it's that same, it's that same brain wiring that, that you, that we see right now in the Republican party, that it is that same obsequious sycophancy that, that we see on the right, that even in, in, even in the face of incontrovertible truths, these individuals cannot say what is the, they just cannot say what's right and wrong. They have to, they have to put their finger in the wind. They have to, right before they speak, they kind of look at Trump and, or they, they're looking at their phone to see what he tweeted and, oh, okay, now I know what I can say. And, and, and that's the, that's the destruct. It's that right wing. It's that religious wiring of the brain that says, I cannot question the authority that is, that is, uh, 
sending us where we're on our way to where we're going. All right. When you were coming in, I was talking to Miles about the what were the the difference between Democrats and Republicans and how they deal with their presidents. And I predicted that uh, Democrats would not fall in line uh, with a Bernie, with any president that got elected the way Republicans have fallen in line with Donald Trump following that godfather-like adherence to whatever the boss says. Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. That's correct. <laughs> and, 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 and there's something to be said for that because the Republicans have done a, have done an exceptional job since Ronald Reagan that they have, and, and, and part and parcel because they've interwoven themselves with the evangelical church. But you can distill the entire Republican ideology down to about three or four things. Lower taxes, less regulation, uh, guns, uh, no, uh, no, uh, get rid of abortion and, and, uh, gay marriage. Those are really the five things that they talk about. What, run, run them down one more time. I'm taking notes. They talk about, uh, they talk about, uh, lower taxes and regulation, yep. get rid of, get rid of homosexual marriage, get rid of abortion and guns for everyone. Those are their those are their five uh, topics, and I don't care if you look I don't care if you look at uh, Reagan, if you look at George Bush Bush Senior, Bush Junior, or Trump, all of their messages can be distilled, or, or all of their major touch points are within are can be can be kind of categorized within those five subjects. And when you have a very simple message like that, and they have the added benefit of Eighty-five percent of Republicans are white. I would even say I would I would venture to say it's probably a little higher than that. But but the last data that I saw, it's around eighty-five to eighty-five, eighty-seven percent. So they have a, they are racially homogenous. They have a very simple message, and their message is amplified through the right-wing evangelical church. So they've created an, an echo chamber, this, 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 uh, this, this self-enforcing you know, uh, 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 cyclic message that they hear it on Sunday, then they go out and they hear it, and, 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 they, and they all, you know, they're Fox News on Monday through Saturday, <laughs> uh, church on Sunday, you know, and, and so you know, this self-enforcing echo chamber just tells them the same thing. So you combine that with being racially homogenous, then, then it's, it's, it's easy to, or easier to understand how they can be so monolithic. But on the left, you've got people who are racially uh, uh, heterogeneous. We've got all races, all creeds, all colors, all sexual orientations. Everybody goes to the Democratic Party because the identity of the Republican Party is uh, even on its face, even if they don't say it, and they and they do, but even when they don't say it, it, it appears to be very exclusionary. And what you're saying, man, I'm really picking up on it because think about this. You talk about the uh, the diversity the diversity in the Democratic Party. If you're on the Democratic side, you have a very diverse party with people a lot of different viewpoints, people people a lot of different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds. You have to, in general, be respectful of them because you want to keep them in the party together, and you just want to be respectful of other people that you basically agree with. Sure, Republicans mock that respect that Democrats show for people within their party. They call it political correctness. Correct. They say you're allowing people to be snowflakes. So when a, a Democrat says something, uh, backs off, you know, tries to rethink his or her position on any issue, like gender identity, Republicans mock that. Right? But God forbid 
anybody mock those four tenets that you just did you just espoused then you're being intolerant exactly you're being an elitist you're uh not respecting another person's establishment religious belief like their most sacred religious belief the the difference between when you're talking about religion and that's the one that that's that's kind of was the catalyst to this conversation that's funny is that that Republicans have convinced themselves that because someone else has a different opinion, that that is infringing upon their religious liberty. That was you remember when when we were when uh, when the first states were were talking about making gay marriage legal. The first the, the the right their whole objection to it was well now you're redefining marriage and you're infringing upon my freedom to no we're not if a if if you got if a gay couple is living next door as long as that gay couple doesn't come into your bedroom and tell you what to do and with whom to do it you're free to do whatever you want to do but that's the that's the that's the place where we find ourselves that that when my when my freedom encrouches upon your freedom then there's a problem yeah. as long as i can if if you and i can be free and we don't have to we don't have to we don't have to to curtail one another's freedom then that's that's ideally what you want but but the religious right they don't they don't want that they want they want because they believe and, and let me just say let me just say parenthetically that nowhere in the bible does it discuss abortion as a matter of fact one could go so far as to say if you go into the mosaic law and again i know this because i went to church eight days a week but if, <laughs> <laughs> if you read yeah. exodus the 20th chapter in the 21st verse it basically says that the that an, uh, the life of an unborn child this is the under the mosaic law mm-hmm. the life of an unborn child is not equal to a person who's alive and walking around there's a there's a very specific mosaic law in there that, that says if two men strive and 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 the and they hurt a woman and they cause her her fruit to be you know they cause her to lose her fruit or her unborn child it says you have to take you you take the guy to a judge and pay a fine mm-hmm. but says but if you if two men strive and you cause the woman to die then the then someone has to die because it's life for a life eye for an eye tooth for a tooth so even the bible and the so again the the whole thing about the bible and Jesus and God being anti-abortion there's nothing in the bible that is that talks about anti-abortion if if so so i'll stop there but but my point is is that people on the left say hey if you want to get an abortion we want to make sure that they're safe legal and rare republicans say no one can get an abortion because i that's what i believe and that's that's where we find it that's why i said we are we are really on the cusp we are really in danger in this country of becoming the same kind of theocracy that we have used as the justification to go to war in the Middle East to say we're going to liberate the citizens of Muslim theocracies 10,000 miles away. But but we're we're really, really close to becoming a Christian theocracy. Wow. All right. Now, to that point, this popped into my mind. Um, we've had a, a lot of discussion on this show with a councilman from South Bend, Indiana, Henry Davis, and uh, who um, is an outspoken critic of Mayor Pete. Uh, and uh, Henry Davis, I urge everybody, not now, but check out the interviews with Henry Davis. I think they're very interesting because Henry Davis uh, is a councilman from uh, the black neighborhood, uh, one of the black wards in South Bend. And his criticism of Mayor Pete is very similar to criticism, let's say, that you get in Chicago from black activists regarding Mayor Rahm back in the day, how he distributes money, how he deals with police 
brutality stuff and that kind of thing. Uh, so Mayor Pete is doing very poorly in the polls among black voters, uh, but doing and Latino and, and Latino, Latino voters. voters, but doing relatively well among well-to-do liberals. All right, relatively well, and that's where his base is. He's number one right now in the in the Iowa caucus. I saw that. Uh, yeah, now it's it. They're all within the margin of error. Yeah, exactly. so but it's he's right in the mix to win Iowa, and we could then talk about their irrelevancy ultimately of winning Iowa. Ultimately, uh, David. But anyway. Uh, when I was listening to you, I, I, it, I thought back to my conversations with Henry and articles about uh, Pete Buttigieg's relationship with the black community or lack thereof, and the advice that he was being given. And the advice that he's being given is to emphasize his faith, to emphasize the fact, fact that he goes to church, that he is a believer, and that will win him support in the black community. And I'm like, okay, that is an interesting uh, opinion about black voters. There's a lot. Going back to the five tenants, the Republican Party. Donald Trump is paying people to say to wear to hold these shirts up saying blacks for Trump. And he goes down to Atlanta and he spoke to to a, a far right wing black or he was speaking to black conservatives down there. Republicans or conservatives, because it's important to make that distinction. I don't want to I don't want to conflate the two because that that's historically inaccurate. But Republicans, conservatives, they want to say, hey, come join our tent as long as you believe what we believe. So in the case of a in the case of a Mayor Pete, he's being advised by people that that just have a very superficial, generally speaking, when you talk to uh, when you talk to non people of color who are who are uh, political uh, political strategists about how to how to get into the communities of people of color, they generally say, well, you know, black people and, and, and Latinos are generally socially conservative. So if we just go out there and say no abortion and no gay marriage, that'll that will resonate with that commute with those communities because they typically skew socially conservative. The, the, but the problem with that is and which is which is actually I mean, that's actually counterintuitive because the very reason that Mayor Pete uh, is 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 number one in the Iowa caucuses is because you have a, a high enough percentage of liberals who have had to reconcile whatever their feelings were about homosexuality. Why? Because they know someone who's gay, because they've got a son who's gay or a daughter who's gay or a relative who's gay or a best friend. So they had to so they had to reevaluate their feelings about just making these these blanket statements about a community so that's that's what makes it that's what makes it uh, that's what makes it counterintuitive is to say that the very you would all you would almost have to suit say two different messages if you're listening to that that type of uh, advice because you've got white liberals who are accepting you despite the fact that you're gay but then you're going to go out and espouse religiosity to people of, of of color to get them to obfuscate the fact that you're gay and 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 even more than that, Mayor Pete has no chance whatsoever. The religious right would burn this country <laughs> to a cinder before they would let an yeah. openly gay married man yeah. sit in the White House. That's never that's not going. We we 
misogyny was one of the variables that kept Hillary Clinton from uh, yeah. ultimately winning. So you think that these misogynists, far right wing, ultra conservative, fundamentalist Christians are going to then vote in a white, gay, married man? That's come But look what they do. They blame black people. And this 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 thing, uh, Henry Davis. For Hillary I, Clinton? Did, no. Okay, I, I jumped two steps ahead of you. Let me go back okay. and catch up because uh, Mayor Pete put out that uh, poll. Somebody put it. I don't know if literally Mayor Pete. I came from his campaign. Uh, it was based on uh, what do they call those things where they put like ten people in a room? Focus group. Focus group. It's the big, biggest bunch of BS. Focus men. Focus. Yeah. <laughs> Focus group. And. Uh, that said black people have a problem with uh, him being gay, all right? And they had to work on that. And that was trying to sort of explain why he has abysmal support among black voters, all right? And this myth has been put out for so many years. I fight it all the time, and I will fight it until I can no longer speak. The notion that somehow or other black Americans are more anti-gay than any other any other group in this country. There is a there is a segment of fundamentalist. And when, when I say fundamentalist, I'm saying the people who read the Bible and they believe when it says that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in six days, that there are people in 2019 who teach that is literally true. Mm-hmm. There are people who teach that the, that the universe was literally, the universe is literally 6,000 years old. I had this conversation with a guy years ago when I was still in church, and this, this guy was an engineer by trade. And he and I were going back and forth about the Bible being literally true or not. And I said to him, I said, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're an engineer by, by trade. There are things in the observable universe that are 6,001 light years away. So that so right there, that means that the universe is older than 6,000 years. And I said, even in the Bible, it says, you know, the first verse says in the beginning. Yeah. We're talking about this omnipotent God. Uh, you know, if he said in the beginning, we don't know if that's a billion years ago or whatever. And he said, oh, so you believe in the gap theory. So even so, so that's that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. But but when you take fundamentalist black, when you take fundamentalist Christians, so I, so let's just take race yes, out of it. Yeah, fundamentalist Christians will look at someone who's homosexual, and the first thing they will say is, "The Bible says that's an abomination." Okay. All right. The Bible says that's a, they don't mention eating shrimp being an abomination yeah. or wearing clothes clothing with different material or, you know, swift feet running to tell. You know, again, I went to church eight days a week, so I know this stuff. But, you know, there, there, there are abominations all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. But the one thing that they pay attention and then, and then they will tell you that we don't even have to pay attention to the Old Testament because the Old Testament was the law. We live in the New Testament under grace. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So we don't even have to pay attention to the Old Testament. And the two times they will bring up the Old Testament is homosexuality. They'll say that uh, uh, homosexuality is an abomination. And then they will bring up tithing. <laughs> That's their excuse for tithing. They go to Malachi three eleven that says, "Bring the tithes into the storehouse, so there'll be meat in my house." Yeah. So, so for fundamental, it's not a it's not a black fundamentalist Christian thing. It's a fundamentalist Christian thing that allows them the liberty to say, "Can't vote for Mayor Pete. He's gay." And yeah. The Bible says that's an abomination. Right. So then, I what you said is true. It crosses over racial lines. So it's no more true of the of the 
black community that is of the white community as a whole, that there's a segment of each community that uh, has a deep rooted opposition uh, to homosexuality and they will express that in a campaign. Uh, When I tell you the five tenets were homosexuality. There you go. Homosexuality is one of the Wait, five there pillars. Wait, there's four. There's, there's what was the fifth? Ta- it's taxes. Oh, and regulation. Taxes, regulation. So regulation is a separate those, one. Right, gotcha. those are separate. Okay, okay. Then it's guns, gays, and God. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, Number five. <laughs> hey, David, you're really smart, man. You should host a radio show. <laughs> By the way, all right, let's take a break from uh, this to say. Wait, you do host a radio yes, show. When is it? Say, you do host a radio show. I co-host a radio show. And when can that be heard? I co-host a radio show with Atiba Buchanan on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago, on Fridays from 9 p.m. to midnight. Fridays, 9 a.m. until midnight. What's the name of them? To oh, 9 p.m. until midnight. 9 a.m. to midnight. Jesus. <laughs> How do you like radio? <laughs> he loves radio, ladies and gentlemen. What's the name of that show? <laughs> the Buchanan and Seton Show. And we had discussed uh. this with Atiba. How did his name go first? Was it alphabetical? They got in a fight. I've, they fought over it. Yeah. I, I was just, I was just, uh, just phonically just saying, you know, Seton and Buchanan because my name has two syllables and his has three. And, and, and I, I, I'm musical. I play the piano and blah, blah, blah. So just musically, it made sense to just, it rolled off the tongue to say the Seton and Buchanan show. And then, so we, we were taping the promos. He'd say the Buchanan and Seton show, and I'd say the Seton and Buchanan show. So we tried to turn it into a thing. But uh, he's actually the, he actually came up with the show and with the idea and everything. And then he asked me to, to join him after he uh, well, came up with they it. They are awesome, in my humble opinion. Uh, they've been coming on my show. God bless them ever since I had one or ever since I. I, uh, Dennis introduced me to Atiba, and uh, so I'm really happy to hear uh, that they have their own show, and they're going to be superstars. I've been predicting that forever, uh, and I'll be right about that. Uh, Wait, Friday nights, 9 until midnight? 9 p.m. to midnight on Friday. Yeah. On WVON? On WVON, okay. 1690 AM. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah, yeah. of Chicago. Uh, cool, cool. That, uh, he's brilliant at that. He's, he <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, when we come back, David Seaton will tell us who the greatest uh, piano player of all time is. Uh, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu masters. Well, we got to get down to business. Hey, everybody, it's football season. Ben, what's that noise you make? Ready, set, 40, 50? What is it? Uh, uh, reset, 2020. Ah, okay, ready, set, 2020. <laughs> I forget it all the time. But yeah. it's football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. The Sun-Times has always been your go-to source for sports, Right? Right. Well, now the Chicago Sun-Times is a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, Ben's favorite football team in the world. I love the Bears, but I don't like the way they run the Bears. Okay, glass half full on this ad here. Come on. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times for a limited time only. You, Y-O-U, can lock in our lowest rates yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Ben, one more time, that noise. Reset 
Hut Hut 2020. I do the hut hut. Yeah, Ready Set Hut Hut 2020 and Ready Set Hut Hut 29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. That's suntimes.com forward slash. You guys can spell Ben, right? B E N. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. We haven't done that one in a while. I love that one. <laughs> that gets me to say, uh, not only is David Seaton a, a brilliant analyst of politics, not only is David Seaton the co-host of his own talk show at WBON, uh, not only is David Seaton the man, the myth, the legend, for, and the pride of joy of Proviso West, but he plays a mean keyboards, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> done that one in a while. He's good. Yeah. He used to do that all the time. We'd come in with that little that whole thing. Man, I in my heart of hearts, David, I wish I could have been a uh, radio DJ. I grew up listening obsessively to radio. Uh, and I never practiced this until late in life when I stumbled upon this job. That You want to try and hit the post? I, I wish I could. Do you know what hit the post means? I do not. Young oh, Dennis, show him. Okay. Come on, hit one the, more time. Hit man. the post is when you listen to radio and you hear like the beginning, the intro of a song before the lyrics start, and the DJ will, you know, huh, coming up. Da, 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 exactly. He'll end it right when the the song starts. Okay. All right. Why so they? this is like a fi- like a fifteen second song. This is country. Ben, you don't want to you don't want to try no, and hit the I post because this, this is hard. This All is right. watch this. This is just fifteen seconds here. There's no there's no vocals, but you you get the idea. All right. This is a country song. So let's part- pick a country singer. Garth Brooks. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Ben. All right. Here we go. <laughs> You're listening to The Ben Jarofsky Show. Coming up, your news, weather, and traffic, and so much more. But right now, Garth Brooks, he's got friends in low places. Turn it up. <laughs> and good. Then, he's you know good, what I mean? He's good. He's That's good. hitting the post. That's hitting the post, man. I can't do that. I wish I could. But you hear it all the time. Like, we're driving down the road, we listen to classic rock, and these DJs have been hearing the same songs a million times, so they know the countdown right. before the, the voice kicks in. Exactly. So the music's going on. They're talking, yeah, David Seaton's got his own show in 1690 uh, WVON in Chicago with the TV Buchanan. Check it out. <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, come on, That was man. good. Listen to radio since I was a little itty-bitty boy. All right. Uh, you I didn't know you played the piano. I do. Uh, I'm somewhere between a beginner and a novice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> uh, a but you, you already told me who you think the greatest uh, piano player of all time is, and that would be? Art Tatum. Jazz man. Jazz man from the 30s. He, he, uh, and again, as, as a pianist, to listen to him play, he was he, his nickname. He was nicknamed the man with four hands because he would play so quickly. And if and if you're a pianist and you're listening to him and you're trying to just imagine what he's doing to to make this sound, and he's just it's just one guy sitting at yeah. this 88 key piano and he's just got two hands. So uh, again, if you if you go if you you can Google him or you could go on uh, YouTube and they you know if they got some old stuff. But yeah, hands down, far and away. The, the best pianist in, in the world. Well, uh, some night I'll invite you over. Uh, I'm inviting you to my friend's house, uh, Cap. We watch the games together. And then after the games, he's a huge musical. Uh, he knows more about music than I do. And he'll put, he's got this beautiful sound system. We put on YouTube stuff. And a lot of it will be keyboard 
Uh, so we he like uh, George Duke. I'm trying to think of some. Uh, he loves Oscar Peterson. Oscar Peterson, man, that guy can make the uh, Billy Preston and uh, Joe Sample. I don't know if you know him. He's Joe Sample, from yeah, Crusaders, yeah, Street yeah. Life, yeah. And, and so uh, Joe Sample was basically my guy from 1991. That that the, the the decade of the '90s when I went away to college. That's that was my. Well, you learned went back in time because Joe Sample was huge. I'm older uh, than David, and uh, t- you're t- kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> two generations on this young man. When this young man was just a wee lad in Westchester, wherever he grew up, I, I forget the. T- I know he went to St. Joe, but I don't remember the town you're from. Provisor uh, West. From, I, my bad. Did I say St. Joe? You said St. Joe's. My daughter went to St. Joe's. I, because now there's no more IHM, so St. Joe's. Is yes, co-ed. it's coed. That is correct. That's correct. Uh, and, That's correct. Uh, thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. <laughs> but anyway, back in the day when he was a wee wee lad uh, going to some Proviso West feeder school, <laughs> I was listening to the Crusaders and oh, really digging that sound street life all right anyway um uh the other thing that uh, you were going to talk about we didn't talk about any of the things we said we we're going to talk about <laughs> hey, welcome to the ben Jarofsky show <laughs> absolutely nothing so much for preparation open window throw out uh bernie sanders we i spent a lot of time with miles talking about bernie sanders so we're going to introduce the the thing you wanted to talk about, Bernie Sanders, but I'm really curious. Uh, I always tease uh, David. He's a little to the right of the, the typical Ben Jarofsky guest. He is a Democrat, uh, and he fits within the spectrum of the Democratic Party, but um, you were one of the few guests who came on the show who had nice things to say about Joe Biden uh, earlier on. I don't know if you feel still feel that it's way. It's tough to find you guys. I do. I do feel the same way. You still feel the same way. Well, it must, exactly okay, what's your thoughts about all these, quote-unquote, moderate centrist Patrick Duvall jumping in the race Michael Bloomberg jumping in the race you know what before and this is way before this is when this is when uh, we were going toward the end of of Obama and they were still it was still up in the air whether or not it was going to be Hillary or Joe Biden who was going to try and run so way back then before Kamala Harris got into uh, got into the race in this cycle it was my prediction that Joe Biden and Deval Patrick would have been the perfect. I flipped it. I, I said, yeah, I flipped the, the yeah. dyslexia. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought I thought they would have been the dream ticket. And even now, him getting in the rate in the race as late as he is, the two things that he brings that 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 he has that no one else has who's running is he has executive experience, having been the governor of Massachusetts, and the other thing that he brings, youth. Unfortunately the top three people who are running are all in their seventies. And so he contrasts them with bringing his youth. And then he also contrasts Trump because of his youth and his executive experience. All right. Now, um, so you're not upset that he jumps in, that he's undercutting uh, Joe Biden. You don't think he's a Johnny come lately to this race? I don't think so. I think it's I think it's presumptuous of us to to say who can or can't or who should or shouldn't or when they get into the race. If if he gets in this late, I think I think he might be strategically entering the race to shore up the centrist ideology so that it's so that it'll kind of help to weed out some of the more far left you know, extremely ultra progressive views that are being espoused because, uh, you know, you were saying in the you were saying in the segment before I came on, and I've said this before as well, that 
Elizabeth Warren, if Elizabeth Warren and or Bernie Sanders get elected, unless they have a majority in the House and 61 uh, Democratic senators in the in the Senate who are going to vote in lockstep with them, it doesn't matter what they say they're going to do. They can't do it without those voting majorities behind them. And the way that Donald Trump has seated the judiciary, there's necessarily not even a guarantee that if he had, you could have 67, you could have a super majority, uh, you know, of, of Democrats in the in the Senate and have, uh, you know, the majority in the House. And one of Trump's judicial appointments could rule something unconstitutional. So so we really have to we really have to be strategic in who we're going to put in the White House. And we definitely don't want to put someone like an Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders just for namesake, just so we can win to put them in there. And then they'll get in there four years, be unsuccessful. And then that'll give enough, that'll give enough momentum for the right to come back and try to put someone Trump or Trump like. Well, the right's going to do that anyway. I mean, they're the right's going to come anyway. at, at, at them anyway. Right, but but the people who we're the people who we're trying to get are those people in the middle. The the people who are far right, they're going to vote for whoever's the Republican. The people on the far left are going to vote for whoever the Democratic the Democrat is. That's actually not true. The people on the far left won't vote, well, and or they. I have many friends of the far leftist persuasion. Uh, who will not did not vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, they either voted green or they didn't vote at all. And uh, happens on the right too, though. uh, Yeah, but it didn't happen enough in the state of Michigan and the state of Wisconsin and the state. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying if you go back to if you go back to the election of 2008 when Barack Obama won, part of the reason that he won, and this is what people you know, it's important to keep this in a historical context. Part of the reason that he won was that the Republicans lost. People were Republicans were disenchanted with Bush. John McCain was, you know, was an older guy and he really didn't really he, he didn't. John McCain wasn't the fire and, and the Republican. It was, Sarah, era. Palin. It was Sarah Palin that year. But Sarah Palin was was enough of a dilettante and a nincompoop that and enough people. But, you know, you had people who stayed home because they were just disaffected Republicans and they had had enough. Mm, not quite sure about the Republicans staying home in that election. Uh, generally, the typical analysis from the 2008 election that Democrats just tried to voiced on us is that Barack Obama was the kind of Democrat who could get Republicans to vote Democrat or independents to vote Democrat. In fact, David, I hear that so often now. We need a new Barack Obama. They talk about the Obama-Trump voters, which are voters who went for Obama in 08 and Trump in 16. And this is a a point of analysis that I see in uh, many uh, articles where how can we get those Obama-Trump voters to go back to Democrat and leave Trump? So I'm... It's not that Demo- it's not that so much that Republicans stayed home because they were disenchanted. Barack Obama actually won over voters who would ordinarily vote Republican. I and mean, we saw that he won Ohio in 08. Indiana didn't he win Indiana? He won Indiana. Man, can you believe that? But you gotta remember but you have to remember that two years before he before he ran and won in that midterm election in two thousand six, the Democrats took back the House. 
So there was a there was a there was a you know, there were Republicans who were not who were disenchanted because of everything that was going on. They were tired of the Iraq war. They were tired of Bush, Bush being, you know, dubbed as a dummy and and and, you know, you know, would always misspeak. Then you had Katrina. Then you had then you had the economy. You know, you had the So, you know, you had a lot of things on the Republican side where the Republicans weren't enthusiastic yeah. To vote even before, because in 2006 at that Fair midterm, point. Barack Obama hadn't even announced that he was running yet. Uh, I must concede that that's a fair point. I remember the 2000s, <laughs> the Democrats took the House and the Senate. Correct. Uh, and uh, they gave all the credit in the House to Rahm, and I always laughed at that. Uh, then, of course, they lost the, <laughs> they quickly lost that House. What was it, in 2010? It was 2010. an avalanche. It was an avalanche. Uh, Be- but that was because of racism. Say, explain that because because I don't no one no one really really believed that Barack Obama was going to win until he won, kind of like what happened with Trump, and then Barack Obama and the and the Democratic Party they used one hundred percent of their goodwill that they had, and the only thing that they concentrated on during the first six months was the Affordable Care Act, so that gave. That, I mean, you remember the talking points from the right about this is government trying to take over our health care and they're coming out with death camps and mm-hmm. and then blah, 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 blah. So that's the, so it was it was that that was the cover that, that gave the Tea Party the cover to come in. And they came in in, in 2010. Here is how insane America is. In 2010, Republicans took the House by scaring America over Obamacare. In 2018, we're being told, Democrats took the House back by scaring America about Republicans taking away Obamacare. Americans are dumb. <laughs> schizophrenic. No, they're dumb. dumb. Okay, they're you dumb. said it. I'm they're dumb. dumb. I mean, but this is... But You've this is, just insulted the swing voters, David Seaton. <laughs> they need to be insulted. Uh, but, but, this, but, the, but, but, but the pendulum that we see swinging in, yeah. the, in the electorate going back and forth about the Affordable Care Act is no different than what happened when Social Security got introduced. It's no different than when the income tax got introduced in 1913. It's no different than... When, I mean, every time we, we, we make make this big social change, the people who are progressive enough to want to push it forward, push it forward, then the then the populace, you know, reacts and swings to the other side. And then somewhere in the middle, because now people get used to it and they realize, oh, it's not as it's not it's not anywhere scary as those people are trying to, you know, give now they're used to it. You go out there and try to t- you go out there and try <laughs> to tell people part of the reason. But one of the other reasons that yeah. Bush got, uh, lost a lot of his cachet because he was trying to privatize social Yes. Security. Remember that he uh, was trying to pro- and and so and senior mm-hmm. citizens did, especially when you had the market crash. I remember, I remember uh, that that the whole year, the last year that Barack Obama was was running, all the Democrats were saying we're in a recession, we're in a recession. Bush was saying we're not in a recession. Look at the stock market. Then when the stock market crashed after the election in December of two thousand eight, Bush came out and said, "Well, we've been in a recession for a year." Yeah. Yeah, we've been in a recession for a year. So, so again, I mean, the the pendulum swings like that because, unfortunately, the majority of the people who are out there are misinformed or underinformed. Yeah, and not paying attention. And by the way, uh, that that 
that recollection about Bush saying, oh, yeah, we've been uh, contradicting himself fits into the theme of the day, which is politicians lie, uh, which has come from The Godfather, too. All right. uh, You had a clip, uh, a a news story that uh, I haven't had a chance to talk about. It's it's a couple weeks old, but uh, it is an interesting one dealing with Bernie Sanders uh, asked a question at a forum. Uh, D, you got it ready to go? Absolutely, I do. David, once again, man, if you had a radio show, I'd listen to it. I, you know, I mean, <laughs> oh, wait, you do. Why don't you turn in? Why don't you tune in to WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago on Friday from 9 p.m. to midnight? Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah, might, that's right. You told us that earlier. You have you a radio hear, show. You might hear us. Hey, you're good. Here's Bernie. Friday, he says man, he feels announcer. better than ever after undergoing heart surgery. Sanders is focusing right. his message in Iowa on his fight against corporate greed. And you got to send me the time clips for this is audio. It's coming up. It's coming up. He believes the wealthiest Americans are addicted to money and are willing to exploit the working class to further enrich themselves. Here we go. We have situations where companies cut back on the health care of their workers or the wages of their workers in order to give, you know, unbelievably large compensation packages to their CEOs or do stock buybacks, which enrich their stockholders at the expense of the workers. So greed for some of these people has literally become a religion. I need more, 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 like a drug addict. Okay, that actually wasn't the clip, but that's a pretty good one. (laughs) Well, you know what? Again, Bernie Sanders, Mm -hmm. I I admire him for being uh, idealistic. And it is rare to find that unblemished idealism of someone from someone of his generation. Uh, That said, I mean, let's not pretend like what's going on as far as classism and socioeconomics in this country is something new. They had serfs in in England, you know, in the 14th and 15th centuries. And what were serfs? They were the permanent underclass. They couldn't move up. They were the they were going to be the multi-generational poor unless some king, you know, told, you know, made said their bloodline was all of a sudden blessed. And now they're a duke or something. (laughs) But other than that, you know, you had hundreds. Of, you had hundreds of millions of people who were serfs for hundreds of years. There's always, you know, so that's always been the, the dynamic about human nature that the people who, how, who, however they rise to the top, they want to maintain the system that keeps them at the top, and then they want to eviscerate the system that allows anyone to rise to the level that they are. All right, so, okay, it's an age-old struggle, and Bernie's saying we have to confront it. So, you know, it's... The problem with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren is that they are trying to they are trying to guarantee outcomes as opposed to guaranteeing equal access. There are some people out there that if if you and I sat here, if we sat on this podcast right now, and we said the first 10 people to show up to the Chicago Sun, uh, the Chicago Sun Times uh, radio station in the next 10 minutes, will give you 10 will give you each a 10 million dollar check. It's not happening, by the way. <laughs> no, but if we but can. if we said that, yeah. six people wouldn't believe it, two people would forget, and the other two would show up late. So you know, so again, we're we're not talking about. I, actually, you have way more faith in the American people than I. <laughs> if Dennis said right now, the next ten people that show up at this office will get ten million dollars each, we'd have a line of people going down the block. You'd go, have a line of people in probably forty-seven minutes from now. <laughs> no, <laughs> I. I uh, my attitude about, well, okay, 
the theme I've been hitting hard on about Bernie Sanders, the opposition to Bernie Sanders from the centrist wing of the Democratic Party, I don't believe the centrist wing has been honest about their opposition to Bernie Sanders. Uh, you just gave, well, the, the, the centrist wing of the Democratic Party does not want to come out and say they literally oppose the initiatives that Bernie is proposing because they realize that a good chunk of the Democratic Party supports them, all right? So what they do is they say, you cannot get elected with these positions. And, and that, I feel, is a disingenuous argument that covers up a lot of polls that suggest you can get elected with this argument. And so what, in fact, Democrats are doing is they're protecting certain corporate interests under the guise of saying we would be stuck with Donald Trump if we advocated what Bernie wants. You're giving them too much credit. They're not that smart. This is, this is not about... Um, this is not, Rom's not that smart not to, that to smart. say two different, separate things at once? No, no, no. They're not, they're not smart enough to orchestrate this elaborate plan. It's not that elaborate. But, All you got to do is say, man, it's not electable. But, but, but what Bernie Sanders is offering is no different than the New Deal. As a matter of fact, a lot of what he's offering are the things that they never got. They never got. They never got implemented Agreed. under the New Deal. Agreed. So what he's offering is not that is not that and radical that and historical sense. How, <laughs> and that just goes to show you how historically this country's moved to the right. Even the Democratic Party has moved to the right and abandoned many of its principles and ideals that drove. Pe- I, I think, but but you're talking about dark money and politics, and you're talking about people being underinformed and misinformed, and, and like I don't think this is about Democrats being beholden to their corporate donors. I think this is about Democrats not having faith enough because Democrats are typically feckless. Uh, Republicans <laughs> will go out and they will say the most the most obscene things, and if you look at them, you know, cross-eyed, they'll look you back in your face like, "Yeah, I said it." Yeah. But Democrats will say something that they kind of sort of hope you might agree with them, and if you look at them funny, they'll say, well, wait, I, I'm open to negotiation. Yeah, so, no, well, it's, that's a valid point. I think I got that audio. All right, here we before. go. You sent me, the, this link you sent me has like four different videos, yeah. so maybe this is it. Uh, <laughs> it's about see. talking about a, if he had a black son. Uh, my question is to, um, my name is Jamel Lawton. I'm from Bamberg, South Carolina. I'm a sports management major. My question is to you, if I was your son, what advice would you give me the next time I pull over by a police officer? What? what uh, be, hold up, Mike, a little bit closer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what? If I'm if if I'm your son, what advice would you give me the next time I be pulled over by a police officer? Next time you pulled over, pulled over by a police officer. <laughs> Here we go. It's coming. Uh, little Bernie. <laughs> uh, I would do my best to identify who that police officer is in a polite way. Ask him or her for their name. I would respect what they are doing so that you don't get shot in the back of the head. But I would also be very mindful of the fact that as a nation, we have got to hold police officers accountable for the actions that they commit. And that is, so to answer your question, I would be very cautious if you were my son in terms of dealing with that police officer, but I also defend my rights and know my rights and make sure, if possible, that police officer's camera is on what goes on. 
All right, that that was from a couple of weeks ago. Bernie answered your question. I call that Bernie's "Hobbit Hobbit" moment, and that's from when uh, the honeymooners way back when, when Jack. Hamana 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 Hamana. Huh? First one can't hear. What? I just love that. He always pulls the old man card when he needs a couple of seconds. I'm, I'm sorry. Say that again. I, I, huh? What did you say? Hey, don't Marty. Mock the old- Marty. He got it. Looks like Chris. What's his name from Back to the Future? Doesn't don't, he? Don't mock the old man one. You'll be using it yourself about 30 years. I can't hear you. God damn these kids. Huh? Uh, man. What? Don't. They take advice from me. Don't ask the cop for his name, okay? That's number one. No, you do ask the cop for his name. Oh, my goodness. You do ask the cop for his name. All right, what's your, what's your advice? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Bernie Sanders, uh, one of his one of his pr- his primary pe- one of the primary people working in his campaign both last time and this time is Nina Turner. Mm. Nina Turner was a state senator from from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Nina Turner is 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 very very pro black, and Nina Turner is one of his top advisors. It's pretty i mean it says something about him being unprepared to answer that question or answer it as feebly as he did when he has someone like Nina Turner who 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 was in his ear and she's one of his one of his number one defenders surrogates uh, uh, whatever you want to call her uh number 2 that said i don't begrudge an 80 year old jewish man who spent the last 50 years in the Senate and and 20 or 40 years in the Senate and 20 years before that he was a mayor and then he was a state senator. I don't begrudge an 80 year old uh, Jewish guy in America who can't just off the just off the cuff answer a question about something that we haven't solved as a country yet. That way, I don't think he's 80 yet. He's not 80 He's yet. He's 78. Okay. Well, he's not 80 yet. Okay. So wait till you get up there. People start adding years to you. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that it is, it is, it is unrealistic and it is, dis- That's a and, good it's, point. and it's, and it's dishonest to hold Bernie standard to some, some, some intangible, ineffable standard that he's supposed to off the cuff, have this perfect answer about an issue that we're still grappling with as a nation. Fair enough. Now. His first thing out of his mouth was ask the officer his, his name. You recommend uh, a black kid doing that, a teenager doing that. Why do you say that? Well, number one, number one, the this is the problem that I have with. Let me answer in two ways. the The, the biggest problem that the, the biggest reason why we haven't grappled with this problem yet is because as a nation, we give too much deference to police officers. Police officers are public servants. Police officers are there to protect and serve when they are needed. And we have allowed the police force to to evolve into this preemptive kind of, I'm going to size you up and determine before, in the absence of any, any information or evidence to the contrary, I'm going to size you up and determine your threat level and then respond in kind. And then when police officers do this and they make a mistake, we say, hey, they've got a hard job. 
They've got a dangerous job. You know, the top 10 most dangerous jobs in America, none of them are police officers. An electrician is more dangerous than a police officer. If you're a, if you're a infra, uh, infrared thermographist, that's more dangerous. And you're out there uh, doing IR testing on high voltage power lines. Shout out that's to all more of our dangerous. infrared thermographist <laughs> listeners out there, by the way. Shout out to all of you. And I'm glad you said that because, because people out there probably have never heard of that or don't know I what never. it is. Heard of it until yeah, you yeah. said it. But, but that said, that position is orders of magnitude more dangerous is than a police me? officer. So, gotcha. my, so mm-hmm. the first thing is we've got to stop giving this blanket deference to police officers, and we and we have to take them down from this place where they are the they are the judge, jury, and executioner. No, you are the you are the gatekeeper to bringing someone into the justice system. Someone else is the judge. Someone else is the jury, and then someone else is the executioner. And that's that's part of the reason that we have this conundrum that we have in dealing with police officers. that That's number one. Number two, if African Americans, when they are people of color in general, or people in general, you, you have no reason to be afraid of authority if you haven't done anything wrong. And if you and, and oftentimes you're in this catch 22 as an African, and, and I'm saying this to my personal experience, if you're too assertive, then that's a problem. If you're too servile, they think you're hiding something. So you may as well just know what the law is. And when somebody, when a police officer pulls me over, depending upon how much time I have and where I'm headed and you know, whatever, why did you pull me over? Cause I know I've got my license. I know my, I know my, my license plates are up to, t- up to, up to uh, date here. I've got my insurance. My seatbelt was on. I wasn't speeding. So why are we having this interaction? Oh, and by the way, I need to know your name. Now, you'll maybe that maybe that will be more or less effective depending upon when you are. If I'm the, if I'm driving in the middle of West Virginia at two o'clock in the morning and a good old boy pulls me <laughs> over, I'll probably yeah. be more. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll probably have a little bit more brevity. Uh, m- more circumspect. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but that. But that yeah. said. But that said, we cannot. We cannot be servile. Uh, that perpe- that that's that being servile, you. it perpetuates. You're the talking about something in, in the abstract. You're talking about the way it should be, and no, uh, I'm talking. I'm talking about as an African American. Here's here's my thing as an African American male. If you're going to shoot me and kill me, if if a police officer pulls me over and he's and he has it made up in his mind that when he pulls me over, I'm going to kill a black man today, whether I ask him for his name or not. Whether I, whether my insurance is, is up to date or not, whether my whether I had the turn signal on when I made that left or not. So because we because the reality of the situation is, is that the police officers in this in these situations, because we've allowed it to metastasize mm-hmm. to the point where it is, because they 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 have 100 percent of the power, which is why there's a law in the state of, of uh, Indiana. That's a very interesting law that says you have the right to defend yourself even against a police officer if they enter your home. So if you're in your home and a police officer enters your home and whether you that's know, a law in Indiana. Law in Indiana. And now in a lot of states, in most states, Mm -hmm. even in self-defense, if you shoot a police officer, that police officer still has immunity and you can't use the facts of your self-defense in your court case. But you can in Indiana and you can defend yourself up to and including uh, self-defense of, you know, if it happens to uh, if it happens to result in the death of the officer, if he enters your home. Mm. So, again, we need to have a conversation as a as a society. Well, you, about the power we give police I hear officers. you. Everything you're saying, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Uh, but there's two issues. The issue is 
what do you advise your son or daughter and you know and how to confront and deal with police officers at late night stops and what uh in, in the most practical realistic way of getting out of a difficult situation as opposed to a, a, an important first step in the long overdue struggle to get police to act the right way i would tell my i would tell my son or my, I have a 19-year-old daughter, so I would tell my son or my daughter, and my daughter has been in situations with me where I've gotten pulled over, so she knows that this is how I behave. You comply with what the officer is asking you to do, but you still behave, comport yourself as such that you have you have certain rights. You don't just, you know, I, I don't just fold up in the, because again, to my point, if the police officer has made up his mind that he's going to murder yeah. me, he's going to do it whether I'm servile or arrogant, whether uh, okay. I'm... But it's... <laughs> It's a not either or, you know what I mean? There's there's something in between a cop who pulls you over. This is my day where I'm going to shoot this guy, which I don't even know if that cop actually literally exists, but let's let's say it does. And just a normal situation uh, where a cop pulls over somebody in a car, and then you have to confront that. Well, let me put the let me let me add this this caveat in 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 Russia, for example. And I and I I know I have to kind of laugh that I bring up Russia. We were supposed to talk about Trump, but in Russia, for example, Trump's favorite country. <laughs> in Russia, if you own a car, you have to have a camera, a dash cam in your car. All all cars in Russia have dash cams, and the reason that all cars in Russia have dash cams is because there was so much corruption, there was so much insurance fraud. Mm. People would get into, would purposely get into an accident, or they'd see somebody behind them, they'd you know jam on the brakes so they can get rear-ended. So they had so much insurance fraud that they mandated that everybody have dash cams. So every African American. If you, especially if you live in a less than desirable area or your socioeconomic status is meager, mm -hmm. you should have a you should have a dash cam. Or you can go get a dash cam off of Amazon for pennies, you know, for not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But everyone should have a dash cam, and that and that feed should be going somewhere in the cloud. Where if, if even if you have a dash cam and somebody grabs the camera, it's already backed up somewhere, whatever. And then and you know how every video I've ever seen on YouTube, every video when a police officer pulls over a person and that driver says, regardless of his race, when that driver says, just so you know, this interaction is being recorded. As soon as the police officer knows that there's a record being made of everything that he says and does, all of a sudden he 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 finds the oh well, well okay Mr. Seaton, uh, well the reason I pulled you over, sir, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and you can there are videos out there where you'll see that the, you know the police officer is very aggressive and sometime you know it goes thirteen you know it goes thirty four forty five sixty seconds until the driver finally gets a moment to say well you know just so you know this interaction is being recorded and you'll see a one eighty in that police officer officer's demeanor so we have to as african-americans or we have to as citizens mm. we have to hold our government we have to we get the government that we deserve and that we demand and as long as we are going to accept police misconduct then we're going to be continue to be mistreated by you, police you know what i cannot argue with anything you just said 
David Seaton has convinced me. <laughs> that said, hey, kid, just say yes, sir. <laughs> but if you could argue with David Seaton on what he just said, they'd encourage you to call in on their Friday night show. Oh, here we go. In. 9 p.m. until midnight on WVON. What's the uh, letters or numbers? 1690 a.m., the talk of Chicago. 1690 a.m., Friday nights. David Seaton along with uh, Atiba, Atiba Buchanan. Buchanan. Almost called him David Buchanan. Uh, what's the name of the show again? The Buchanan and Seton Show. I almost said the Seton and Buchanan. Yeah, almost. <laughs> right now is listening. I'm outraged. Uh oh, here he comes. Open up that door. Tiba Buchanan's upset. Uh, anyway, David Seton's always a blast talking politics with you, and I'm gonna have to have you back on a regular basis but now you're such a big shot with your own radio show it may be harder to get you in the studio well you know what when i talk when i tell people i have a radio show and we talk about politics a lot of times they roll their eyes but the conversation that you and i just had for the last hour we did not mention one politician <laughs> we didn't <laughs> but Trump. we were talking yeah. i mean you yeah, know but, I but we were talking about politics you know what and the funny thing is i'll say it again now one thing that I talked to David about what we were going to talk about. <laughs> it started with religion. It went, if I hadn't seen uh, Godfather 2, I don't know what I would have talked about today. That movie had such an impact on me, David. I, seeing it again. You know, and I, I'll just close by saying this. I Just watching it in its entirety. You know, so many times I see Godfather 2. I'm at a friend's house. Oh, yeah, let's wait. Half hour snatch of it, you know. Or, but to, to watch it unfold uh, in all its majesty, just to unquestioned fealty is dangerous i'll say this last thing too because you talk you know generally speaking when i when i uh, hear uh, uh white people talk about uh, godfather and they kind of talk about it in this very reverential oh it's such a great piece of blah blah but it's basically it's a gangster movie about a bunch of guys running doing illegal things uh, and killing people it's great a fa fantastic film but <laughs> but you know can you can you name one can you name one gangster movie that has people of color in it that has the same reverence in the pantheon of... of well, in the of pantheon of me, uh, American Gangster is perhaps... It's in arguably the third greatest movie of this century. And it, when I was watching um, Godfather 2 last night, I kept going back to uh, American Gangster in my mind because... The problem, in my humble opinion, with America's reaction to Godfather 2 is they take all the wrong lessons of the movie. So th it's a brilliant movie. And you're right. Uh, I talked about in terms of abuse of powers and lying, but you talked about uh, unbridled fealty, fear, just being uh, dominated by somebody else. And the, the lessons that America seems to draw on that is, I want that power. I want people to be afraid of me. And it's similar to American Gangster. I don't know if you ever saw that. I've only seen that one 400 52 times <laughs> but that great confrontation between uh denzel washington's character and at the end uh what's old boy's name again oh old boy uh the 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 guy who plays the cop i've just blanked kurt russell oh, oh yeah no, uh, yeah, yeah russell, russell crow. crow russell crow kurt russell crow that is such a great exchange <laughs> yes about what what is morally right what is just right by power exactly and where denzel washington looks at him and goes so let me get this straight you're the guy to pass up to nine hundred million, nine hundred thousand dollars in the. Right. Yep, that was me. Exactly. And so all the wrong lessons are taken from both movies, and so that I that's my biggest problem with uh, the gangster movie, the great gangster movies, is that people take the wrong lessons from them. There, one day there's going to be a movie called American Godfather, 
and it's going to be about the four years of Donald Trump. Whoa. And you know what? That is as good a spot as ever to leave this show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And before we go, we've gone pretty long here. So uh, if you're listening, you must be into the show. So I think now would be a good time to, uh, Ben, you have that little black book. You grab that black book. You tell us who's coming up on the show in the next uh, few days here. And as you get that ready, we'll go to the live stream chat, go in and weigh, see what you guys have to say. Uh, all right. Shout out to Stephen and Jay Marie. They've weighed in here on your conversation today. They said, boo, Joe Biden. <laughs> David Seaton. He I loves love, Biden. And I love our live stream chat room. You guys are awesome. All right. So if you could, uh, Ben, who do we got on? Uh, well, on tomorrow, I'm really, look, oh, I'm really looking forward to this. Tommy Schubert. Tom Schubert from the Chicago Sun-Times will be here. Oh, we ran. he was in the elevator when, uh, we, when Is that we right? grabbed David. The yeah. man knows more about reefer in the state of Illinois. By the way, just a suggestion, not telling you who do you have on your show, but if you want Want to know a guy, have a guy on who knows about reefer law in the state of Illinois? Tom, Tommy, Shuba. And we're going to go. If you know a guy you can buy reefer from, <laughs> let me know. I'm always looking for new. Uh... Uh, and then, oh my good, the Heartland Mamas will be here tomorrow. Hell I love yeah. the Heartland Mamas. Uh, Heidi and Murray will be here tomorrow and uh, looking forward to uh, all the political talk with them. They love talking about And then we got a word. Ramana Hussein, Ramana Rundown on Friday. Rom- obviously, the Ramana Rundown. And we got a bonus interview coming in here. Uh, David Roder, we better hurry up and end this show. We get Rotor in Probably here. outside the door waiting. Oh. Hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not coming here for another half an hour. But oh. anyway, so uh, lots of good stuff ahead uh, on the Ben Jarofsky Show. David Seaton, thank you so much for coming in. Thank I'm you. Miles Complasson earlier in the day. And, of course, as David Seaton knows, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this show. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Yeah, we haven't been on Facebook in a while. I don't know. I think we may... Stick to just posting things on Facebook. We'll go on a Facebook video. Let us know on the live stream chat if you want us to go back on Facebook. We're done. We'll see you tomorrow.